Welcome to the Board Game Battles Podcast, where we take two board games with a common trait, discuss each, and see if we can declare a winner. I'm your host, Randall, and with me is my co-host, Jeff. Hello. So this is a brand new podcast, and um, the idea behind it is to take, like I said, two games that have some kind of commonality. It could be theme, it could be mechanics, um, or whatnot, and then we'll compare the two games. First, we'll talk about each game. Then at the end, we'll do a little comparison and see if you know which one we prefer. Uh, today's common trait is going to be Vikings. And in our head-to-head segment, we'll be discussing two games that were released fairly close to each other, Blood Rage versus Champions of Midgard. And then following our matchup discussion, we will have our Imp- Imperial Assault segment, where we discuss what's current in Imperial Assault news. So to get started, um, the first game we're going to talk about is Champions of Midgard. And so how I'm going to do this is the order of the games is going to be uh, chronological. So whichever game came out first, we'll talk about first. And that happens to be Champions of Midgard. It was released in October of 2015. The designer is Ole Steinness, uh, who's done a few other games before Champions of Midgard. Um, not ones I'm really familiar with all that much. I've heard of Police Precinct before, but uh, the other ones I had never seen. Artist is Victor Perez Cor- Corbella. And the publisher is Gray Fox Games. Um, it has a 7.6 rating on Board Game Geek, uh, which is called from 1.8 thousand ratings. So, Champions of Midgard. Uh, we had a chance to play this uh, just this last week. Um, neither of us own this game, but uh, so we went over to a local uh, board game cafe. We're very lucky that we have a couple nearby called um, the Gamers Lodge. And uh, we spent the evening there with our wives. We uh, tried each game out, you know, tried out champions. Uh, did you have any thoughts? Um, you want to add in there? Uh, yeah, the the cafe near you is actually nice, comfortable place to be. I was quite surprised. It was the first time I'd been to one, and their selection of games was fairly good. Uh, the wife factor in this game, they both seem to enjoy it. That I don't know that they would want to be playing it a second time <laughs> but <laughs> yeah I, I would say champions of midgard was more for the male audience from my perspective of things even though they have some female characters true yeah that's uh, true um a little bit about champions of midgard it's a, a worker placement game primarily but they also have some dice rolling mechanics in there and a, they also say there's a set collection uh, so how this game works is each player is competing to be the new Jarl. The old Jarl has died, and you want to take over as the, uh, the leader of your clan, of the whole clan. Um, so the, the various characters, there's like several different characters you can choose from, some female, some male. Each character has a special ability. Uh, there's one lady, again, I don't remember her name. She, uh, her ability was she gives up um, an extra sword to a swordsman and we'll get into what a swordsman is in a moment um there was a one character i played again don't remember the name the names aren't conducive to memory because they're all very difficult yeah they're all very like viking kind of names it's like oh i'm uh." so i could not i couldn't tell you who i was um but my special ability was uh that i could go to the merchant area there's a special merchant that changes every round and get his goods for free whereas normally um as a merchant you uh if you go to the merchant you have to spend a gold to get whatever goods he's uh providing um so yeah each different potential jarl 
has a special ability. And that's on the one main side of their card. If you flip over their card, you'll see that they have spots for up to eight dice. Now, this is a kind of a unique uh, worker placement game in that along with placing your workers, you also have a dice rolling mechanic that will come into play for battling monsters. So describing the board, it's a fairly large board actually. It took up a lot of the table. It was, you know, the tables weren't huge at this cafe, but they were, they could handle most standard board games fairly well. But this was a fairly big board because it has quite a few areas where you're placing cards down, which are kind of standard card size. And um, so you need that space, I guess, to place those on the board. Uh, going around the board, there's places for um, battling trolls. Uh, trolls are attacking your village and you're trying to help defend against that. There's places for attacking, uh, I think they're called Draugar. Draugar? Draugar, something like that. Undead, yeah. either way. The undead. They're the Viking undead, um, which are actually attacking neighboring villages, so you're going to help your neighbors out. Then you have uh, locations uh, around the board for getting various uh, goods. Um, there's some random market stalls that you can pick up, so it's going to be different each game. And depending on the number of players, will de determine how many of each type will be out. There's uh, some military stalls and there's economic stalls. Military, um, in our game, we're giving us um, ways of getting additional dice. And dice represent different types of warriors. Um, the standard one is the white die. It has the, uh, it's a swordsman. It has three sides to it, so, and three blanks. Um, the three sides are a shield, one sword or two swords and then you have three blanks uh, the shield is used for defending damage from monsters uh, the swords are used for damaging the monsters uh, so that's an interesting little mechanic because um, there's also two other dice that you can get as well as the swordsman there's the spearmen and the axemen spearmen are similar to swordsmen um, in that they have a shield uh, one spear and a two spear, but then they also have a second spear. Like a, so they have two single spears, one double spear, and a shield, I believe. And then they have two blanks. Axemen um, are similar, to, a little bit more similar to shield um, spearmen, sorry, um, but they have no shield. So you have two singles and two doubles on the axemen, and then two blanks. So that was a lot kind of more interesting. offensive for the black dice, which were the axemen. Right. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, that you get this sort of dice rolling mechanic. You have all these different dice you can collect and use towards defeating monsters in the game. Um, so I, I found that kind of nice. The only problem I had with it was the mechanic of rolling the dice when it comes to a worker placement and having to split up your dice if you go to multiple creatures, say, it became a little more complex than I would have liked for the type of worker placement game that it is. True, yeah. Um, we haven't really described that part yet, but um, so what? how it works is when you're assigning your uh, your workers and you start out in a four-player game with, um, I believe three it workers. was... Yeah, three workers. And there is a location that you can go to to get a fourth worker, which never for really... For cost of gold. It cost gold. It didn't seem important to pick him up. It almost didn't, no. Um, only one of us out of the four even went there to get the extra worker. That was my wife. 
and um, it was getting closer to the end of the game because it cost five gold to get that extra worker for the first person. Then it gets cheaper for each person afterwards. So the first person to go get an extra worker at that space, and you're blocking off five that space. gold for that first worker, and then yeah. progressively cheaper for each person gold, after three gold and two gold. But it's a it's a worker you have to use to get that extra worker. Um, that extra worker does become available to you right away. So it's you know something you can go and start using as soon as you get them. Um, I think it's also the bit of the problem of getting that gold. Um, depending on the monsters you defeat, uh, sometimes you would get gold from the monsters, um, but it was uh, the ones that had the most gold um, were actually the uh, the sea monsters, which we hadn't covered yet. So um, as I mentioned, there was the trolls and the undead. There's also a sea section on the bottom of the board with four spaces with sea monsters where you have to travel to get to those monsters. The way you travel is to either hire a boat or to have your own personal boat. Um, to hire a boat, there's two public boats that are available. Um, one will let you carry up to five items, and items can be warriors or food or a combination of both. Just sending food would be useless. Just sending warriors without food You'd is useless. You'd all starve. Yeah, so you have to have a combination of warriors and food on a boat in order for it to make it to the battle. Uh, so like I said, one public boat could carry up to five. The second pu public boat for one gold can carry up to ten. So it's the better one to take if you're going on a long journey. Um, then there's private boats, which is a space you can go to um, to uh, build the boat. Costs um, so much uh, gold and wood in order to build a boat. Then you always have that boat available to you. It's like your own private area that you can put a worker on when you want to set, set sail to go attack one of the sea monsters. Um, just quickly before we get back into combat, um, other areas you can go to, there's a sort of a generator area for each of the warrior types that um, if it doesn't get taken in one round, at the end of the round, a die will get added to it so that there's more to take in the next round if someone goes there. And there's a generator area for um, wood. So no food, the, just food, food, yep. So the bottom one was food, but then you could go hunting for food as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Wood was the limiting resource in this. It was the harder resource to pick up. You usually had to pay for it from the market, or trolls all seemed to give one wood as a reward option. Oh, that's right. If you defeat a troll, you can get a wood. That's right. Um, and then quite often market ships, uh, merchant ships, I should say, uh, that change every, um, every turn, uh, would quite often have wood and food. Um, sometimes it also provide warriors as well. Um, so those are the most of the different areas. There's a uh, what do they call it? There was the, the runesmith. Runesmith. Um, the runesmith was an area that had um, a little deck of cards and two face-up spots. So when you visited the runesmith, you had the choice of taking one of the face-up runes, and or you could take a random one from the top. Not a random one, but the top card which you wouldn't know what it was a blind card um, runes are used uh, special abilities you can use once per game if you take it um, but they're also worth points at the end of the game so each rune would have glory points on it that whether you used it or not you would get at the end of the game and the last area were the um, destiny cards there's a destiny area the game you'll start with one destiny card and each destiny card will have a special objective objective or goal that you're goal, trying to yeah. work towards in the game it could be you're trying to uh, 
defeat a certain type of monster be the whoever has the most of that monster if you have that objective will get you so many points um, there's also objectives for maybe having the most um, warriors or it could be the most resources there's different types that um, you're aiming towards uh, one of the advantages though of getting additional objectives other than you'll have more ways of scoring points at the end of the game is uh, when you go to a the destiny area you get to look at um, one of the sea cards. So how the sea works is um, when you're going over the ocean there's four locations that you can go to um, with your ship. Uh, four different monsters. Um, they sort of go from uh, left to right. Left being the closest to the shore I guess you could say. Meaning it needs the least amount of food to get there. There's two spaces like this. What that means is to travel to one of those two spaces you have to have at least one food for every two warriors um, and then there's two more spaces where you have to have one food per warrior um, so out of those four spaces two that are closer two that are farther and doing that journey has a random um, event card for each space so depending on which space you go to you have to flip that card to see what um, if you had clear water or if you had uh, any trials or tribulations to get there using the uh, going to the destiny area allows you to look at one of those random event cards before you sail out. So you could look at it at any time, whether or not you sail. Um, so it gives you an, uh, sort of a hint, and you only look at it for yourself, as to what's coming up. So that's the one advantage to going to the Destiny area. Other than getting a Destiny card, you get to look at one of the... I think it's, what it is is like weather conditions or something like that. It's Basically, like an event. yeah. It would delay your voyage, so you might need more food. Or we saw a Kraken, which was an extra fight before you get to the actual fight of the monster. That's right. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different types of events you can run into as you're sailing. Um, so once you've placed all your figures out there, you choose you know, which monsters you want to attack. If you were to attack the troll, you're going to attack one of the neighboring um uh, one of the undead that are attacking the neighboring village, or you're going to attack a sea monster. You, uh, after everyone's done placing all their warriors, um, I also mentioned there's one other area you can go to. It's the only area that multiple people can go to, and that's the hunting grounds. It's a, where, a place where you can sort of dump extra warriors you have to try to get more food. Um, so once everybody's done placing their um, their action figures or action figures <laughs> worker place worker workers exactly <laughs> um, you then assign any warrior dice you have in your pool to the various locations you're going that have fights now one thing that I wanted to mention um, which is now slipping my mind oh um, on your uh, character card there's a spot for up to eight warriors that's the most you can keep with you so you can only ever have up to eight dice at one time in your pool so if you're say you're the one who's going to fight the troll and you're also going to fight an undead you take from those eight dice however many dice you want towards the troll and however many dice you want towards the particular undead or other monster you're fighting and sort of set them aside so you sort of set them on the cards that you're attacking and all the other players will do this as well um, one of the uh, advantages to attacking the troll if some if nobody attacks the troll at all who's attacking your village um, people will start getting blame. Blame is a token which will result in negative glory at the end of the game depending on how many blame tokens you have. So um, if you, everyone starts with zero blame the very first person to attack the troll will avoid getting blame 
Um, but everyone else, does everyone else get blamed or no? It was no, only the person attacking the troll if they won would assign a blame to one of the other players. That's correct. That's right. So if you had a blame and you attack the troll, you can get rid of your blame and then give a blame to somebody else. If you don't have a blame, you can still give one blame to somebody else who didn't, who you know, who didn't partake in the battle. And since only one person can partake in the battle at a time, it's going to be one of your other you know opponents. So that's a little bit unique in this worker placement. A lot of, a lot of worker placement have ways that you can try to screw over your other players. Other than taking spots that somebody might want, there's not a lot of, like, I'm going to do this to you. Um, I think Lords of Waterdeep, the closest they came... Was corruption. Was corruption when they added that expansion. Yeah. So this is sort of like that. It's corruption um, that other people are getting um, in, the w in the form of blame. Um, now, if nobody goes to the troll at all, so like if we go through a round and nobody has decided to attack the, the current troll, everybody will get a blame. So everybody gets one blame token. So that's the one sort of factor you want to consider with the troll. Someone usually wants to try to take on that troll. Um, it's a way to get wood, as um, Jeff mentioned before. Uh, the reward for fighting a troll is always moving your blame around and you get one wood. Uh, the f reward for fighting uh, the undead is um, typically gold, but it's not a lot of gold. Um, and glory. And glory, yeah. Yeah, you get some points out of it. And for the um, the larger creatures, the sea creatures that you have to travel to fight, the a reward... A lot more glory. Uh, yeah, you get a lot more glory, and you also get more gold, typically, too. Oh, no, you don't get any gold. You get um, what's called uh, Favor of the Gods. Rerolls and extra points at the extra end of points the game. at the end of the game. If you don't use it, there are extra points at the end of the game. If you uh, do use it, it's a, a reroll you can do. Um, so there are extra tokens you'll get. That's right. So you'll get a lot more glory, and you'll get those favor of the god tokens. So that's the different types of monsters you're going to fight, and the rewards you'll get. And then the last place is the hunting grounds. Any warriors you haven't assigned to battles, and if you've assigned a worker to the hunting grounds you'll get to roll to see how much food you'll get. And for every success on the die will be one food that you get. I think that's the majority of the spaces. I think we've discussed all that. The game takes place over eight rounds. So it has a finite limit of rounds, which is, and it goes fairly quickly. Very fast, very yeah. fast game. Like it was the second game of the night for us. And um, you know, we started it a bit late. And you know, after I had played it once before this, um, no one else had played it before, but it, being a worker placement, it's a fairly easy game to pick yeah, up. Yeah, we're all familiar with the worker placement concept, so we picked it up pretty quickly between the three of us who hadn't played it yet. And it was very quick setup, and the turns moved fairly fast, so it 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 does play really quick. Yeah. So, and especially when you're doing four players, you're limited to three workers, and then you can get a fourth. And I think... Um, with less players, you get more workers because there's, you know, there's only so many spaces. And you find that you are, especially when you're getting closer to the end of the of each round, trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my guys? Especially when all the good ones have gone, which are typically the ones where you're trying to get more dice. More um, dice, yeah, those were important. You lose those quickly. You do. So how combat works when you're fighting a monster, each monster has an attack and a defense. And the damage is simultaneous. So when you're rolling your dice, they're hitting you back at the same time. So a troll, they, they varied in strength. They, the ones we saw would typically have um, one to two damage. I don't know if there was a, we saw anything with three. 
I think only the monsters had three. Monsters had, I don't yeah. remember a troll with that high. Yeah, so trolls typically had one to two damage, and typically, again, one to two, even up to... Th they, it was one that went to three, I yeah, think. It was one to defense. three damage. Or defense, sorry. Yeah, defense. And so what you'll do is whatever warriors you assign to that fight, you'll pick up your dice, roll them. For every um, attack symbol you get on that die, you'll do one damage to the... Uh, to the troll and then for every shield you roll you'll prevent a damage from the troll and so the, like I said before the only ones with shields were swords swordsmen and um, spearmen so um, yeah that's only so there's a good chance when you roll your dice that you're going to lose at least one or two dice um, if it's a one like if they are attacking back at one strength they're going to kill one die if they're attacking back with two strength they can kill two dice if you don't roll any shields so you really have to take that into account when you're sending warriors on a fight because if you you know, you know and that's happened a few times especially to me where you'll roll all your dice and get nothing but blanks and then it's like oh great. like it's that much harder to yeah. take away those last defense of the creature you're fighting that's right um they do give you a few tokens to use for uh tracking damage to the monster if you don't kill it in one uh, go and then um once you've done all your damage to both sides you roll again if you have any dice left over you roll again attempting to defeat that troll and you do that until either you have no dice left or the troll's dead so it's pretty simple um so there's a good chance that you could send like two or three dice against a troll and you'll lose one or you know potentially all of your dice before you defeat it uh the undead are similar um but when you with the undead and with the creatures um the sea monsters that you start fighting you'll start seeing additional symbols on the cards and those could be symbols that restrict the type of um warriors that can go against them um, there are ones that um, there are the standard ones we can send anybody against it, swordsmen, spearmen or axemen, but there are some that will restrict you that you can't use swordsmen or spearmen or axemen, you know, one, it's usually one of them, not all three, and so what you'll do is take the appropriate dice, put them on that card and roll them again, you're they'll have a strength and a defense basically other than how tough the monster is, the combat's always the same you're taking a pool of dice that you've assigned to that monster rolling them and keep rolling until you either defeat it or you're gone you've been wiped out uh, at the end of every round then you do a little bit of resetting um, if uh, some if one of the pools of like the placement pools where you can either get uh, warriors or um, food um, weren't taken you add one to it you know, you always add one to it um, at the bottom in the uh, the sea area when you're traveling to attack monsters there any monsters that weren't attacked will get a gold added to them, making them more enticing for the next round. Which is why we were getting gold for monsters, because the first few rounds, no one was attacking them, so the gold was building up on them, as well as the favor that you'd get normally for killing them. That's true. So, actually, gold is... It is a bit harder to get in this game, so that's why, you know, eventually you will get gold, and um, in endgame, scoring gold does play a bit of an effect if you have, you know, if you start to be able to uh, amass a sum. But during the game... You know, unless you're attacking one of those monsters that has a lot of gold on it, it comes a bit hard to get. Yeah, I'd say usually it was, I think for all of us, it was usually around round three or four that we started to see a sum of gold that you could start spending it and not feel like you were just throwing it away. Right. Yeah, because other than some spaces that require like one gold to do this, um, I think we saw one of our military ones, I think it was one gold got you um a black die and a red die possibly or maybe in a white and a red but it was something like that where you got two different dice uh for the cost of one gold 
and then there was the merchant that always for one gold you would get either food and and wood or you would get or warriors or warriors yeah um so you know there's a few places where you could spend gold and then you know so i guess what i'm getting at is getting that extra action um it would take a while into the game before you could really even think of going for that so yeah because there was uh, most of the places required you to spend something mm -hmm. which was hard to come by either wood or gold and if you're getting more than one wood a turn you're doing pretty good which usually required you going to the market and spending gold Mm -hmm. or in the case of the character you're using you got it for free from the market that's true or fighting the troll to get the wood from that and i mean the the rewards for having it like the runes were quite powerful for the one cost of wood that they came with but to build a boat say where you need multiple wood mm-hmm. it's several turns of skipping stuff to be able to get that boat true yeah um so there was the bi- building your own private boat uh they they weren't overly expensive so like i think the most expensive one was uh i think two, two wood, wood and, and two, two gold. gold yeah so but it did take a little bit of saving up to get that one um one of the other advantages of having your own boat is that at the end of the game you'll get some additional glory points. But the most powerful boat was probably the public one that cost one gold to rent. Yeah, basically to rent. It gave you the most space to go after the monsters to bring troops and food to feed them that's right yeah because the um the the public one the most spent for one gold you had 10 spaces and so how those spaces work is you have to split it up between warriors and food so you um if you're going to like a, a close by place it's not so bad you could have like six warriors and three food three food if you didn't run into something bad on Ex- the way on the way yeah then you'd be totally fine if you lose any food and that when you get to your destination, you don't have enough food, you lose those warriors before you even get to roll them. So it's important to have the food on the ship. Um, if you're going to a farther away place, then you know you might be looking at five food and five um, warriors. And then you're hoping that, yeah, it's clear sails. Otherwise, you could be losing both. Some of the different things we ran into, yeah, there's clear sailing when you're traveling. There was um, lose one or two food. Uh, which so which is a bit of an argument for having additional food um, on your boat, and then there was um, sea monsters you could run into. Like little, they weren't overly powerful, but they were just an annoyance because you'd have to. Well, fight you're losing them. dice typically before you get to the monster. Before the monster, you and, really want to fight. And the monsters were the tougher of the creatures out on yeah, the board. They were. So you wanted the dice that you brought. If you lost any, it made it questionable whether you're going to defeat your target. That's right. And I think there was also one journey that forced you... Well, you had the potential to remove a warrior instead of food. Yeah, you might have had the choice. You might have had the choice, yeah. Or a warrior. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um, But they have that bit of randomness in there. So that, you know, unless you went to the destiny area to take a peek at where you want to go, you're, you know, you're you're just sort of hoping that you're going to make it. Um, Yeah, I'd say that the monsters were the risk part of the game. It mm -hmm. was fairly simple to assign a worker to fight one of the undead or the troll and have an expected outcome because you don't you're not going to lose anybody on the way which reflected in the points that they were worth right absolutely yeah because um those points yeah whenever you defeat a monster you score those points right away and there's a outer track around the board for scoring the glory points whereas you know there are some things were for end of game scoring um which come into so you, you don't necessarily know where everybody's sitting you just sort of see where you're at during the game a little bit 
but there is a bit of secrecy. And I guess the closest I can compare it to is like in Lords of Waterdeep, where everyone's doing their missions. Um, you know, they, you get a mission, you score your points, and it's pretty straightforward. The only thing that's really hidden in Lords of Waterdeep is your your character's special. What thing, you're aiming for, you're aiming their goal, for, your secret yeah. identity, and in this one, instead of having a secret identity, it's more these uh, destiny cards, which give you a special score at the end of each one. Uh, one of the things that was mentioned is set collection, and that comes from the monsters. Each, uh, other than the troll, which is a gray border, each uh, monster has a different color, colored border around it. And uh, what the colored border, it doesn't really mean anything other than there's three different colors. There's yellow, red, and blue. But that direct will directly uh, tie into destiny cards, and there's also um, a set collection aspect for points at the end of the game. Uh, if you have one of each color of um, monster, then uh, you'll score some additional points for that. And now this uh, turned out to be a much more difficult thing to accomplish than it I expected it to be when we were going through the rules to begin the game, because the monsters coming up. Well, the monsters don't you don't go through the monsters in the sea area very quickly you're probably seeing a couple of those guys stay throughout the entire game that's quite possible the the undead they didn't seem to have a lot of a certain color i think it was blue that they were lacking so it was fairly difficult to get a full set but they were worth quite a bit of points i think it was five points per set or something like that at the end of the game that's right yeah so when you're looking at the sets um if you have one of each color that's worth five glory so it was worth it when you saw the color that you needed to go for to actually strive for it because it's not something I don't think I think only two of us managed to get a full set in that game I think you're right yeah um, I had a destiny card my first destiny card in the game was if I had the most yellow monsters defeated um, I scored so many points I think it might have been six points um, and these destiny cards will sometimes have a two values so if you're the uh, if you meet the main value if you're the most of whatever it is it's asking for you'll get that number if you tie if you or two or more people tie for that value then everybody not everybody but you'll get the lower value so you're, you're trying you're trying to be the most but you still get you'll probably still, still some, get some reward points. for being yeah. tied for first for having it yeah um, as long as you can meet it that's right um, so looking at end of game stories scoring so after the eighth round um, you've done all your uh, battles and everything. Then the different uh, scoring goes. You go through your, all your destiny cards, um, which we just described, to get glory for those. Sets of enemies. Um, so if you have one of each color, you'll get five glory points, which we mentioned before. Runes. So any runes you have, whether you use them or not, will score you points. Typically, I think it's like one, two, or three points um, for a rune. Private longships. If you built your own longship, you'll get the points for that. And I think the most points you can get was the 8.1 then it went down from there favor of the gods so those favor tokens which you could use for rerolls which you got you started with one in the game and you got more for defeating the sea monsters those are worth two points at the end of the game if you haven't used any of them coins for every three coins you'll get one glory point at the end of the game and blame so this is where you start losing so depending on how blame works out and i think our game was fairly cordial we were <laughs> yeah basically passing blame around um where if somebody didn't have a blame would give them a blame so no one really amassed a great amount of game uh, a blame sorry um i had played this game before where blame was being a bit more uh, vicious i think i came away with the most at two blame and yeah. then everyone else had 
one. one. Yeah. So if you just have one, it's not so bad. You lose like one point two. Um, you'll lose three points, and it goes up from there. It not quite doubles for every one, but it gets there. Like three points, you lose six. I mean, three blame, you lose six points. Four blame, you lose ten points. Five, fifteen, and and six or more, you'll lose twenty-one points. So you know, if you get a really vicious game going, um, you could lose quite a bit of points, and that's sort of. Again, going back to the Lords of Waterdeep comparison, because I think the only it's the only other game I can think of at the moment that has that um, negative point negative value. point value, which could really affect other players. Um, but I think it's more prevalent in Lords Lords of Waterdeep when you have that um, corruption, when you have that corruption mechanic expansion in there, um, it really starts to flow because all the really good spaces in Lords of Waterdeep typically, typically will come give, with some yeah corruption. some corruption. But the difference between the two and this is that everyone can get blame if everyone ignores the troll, which yeah. means there's a lot more blame in play if someone doesn't fight the troll. Mm, Where true. if someone does fight the troll, you're only getting one blame coming into play, and then they're assigning it. Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of blame into play because someone was typically fighting the troll, and yeah. then they would assign one token, and then someone else would fight the troll because they got the blame token, and they'd pass it back or pass it to someone else. So we didn't accumulate a lot of blame in this just because it was used more... We fought the troll to get rid of our blame, not to try and screw one person over. So. That's true, yeah. And if we had totally ignored the troll, we probably would have had more options for other things too because if you're ignoring the troll, then you're you know, using that warrior, or not warrior, that, play, that worker, to get something else. So... And the trolls weren't worth a lot of glory. No, they weren't worth much glory, and you got one wood out of it. Wood was good, but um, there wasn't actually a lot of uses for wood. It was runes and boat. Runes and building a boat, and that's it. So, you know, if you're not, um, if, you're, if you're fine using the public longboats, you know, you don't really need the wood for that. There's no point to having extra resources at the end of the game. You don't get extra points for them. So, yeah, like wood only had a couple limited uses. So yeah, in you would end up having a lot of wood sitting around actually. Like yeah, I, I was or... going. I found that no one was using the runes, the mm -hmm. rune miss smith. So I was going to the rune smith every round with whatever wood I got because yeah. they added glory at the end of the game and typically had a useful ability to give you an edge on whatever was happening that round. Yeah. Or Absolutely. further rounds yeah because um the runesmith um unfortunately the rule book doesn't really mention any of the ruins but they could they had some really good abilities in those ruins um well i i for as an example got to score one of my destinies before the end of the game so it was like giving me a boost of points because my one destiny i had was to have the most warriors by the end of the game and right. when you're fighting and constantly losing them who knew where I was going to be at the end of the game with how many warriors I had if I did a fight in the last round. So it was convenient to score that immediately, right, which the rune allowed me to do. Yeah. So and then uh, there was one that allowed you to heal your guys instead of taking wounds. That's right. And, yeah. So th they were useful. They were useful. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're not to be discounted, and you needed to have wood for them. So... Um, but only one person could get it per turn. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. So you have to decide. I'm going to try to go for a ruin, and if I am, then I have to have wood. So I'm going to go for the troll to get the wood, stuff like that. So it um, it was interesting. But uh, um, so that's the game in the nutshell. That's Champions of Midgard. Um, one other thing to talk about is the rule book. Uh, we were quite impressed with the rule book. It's really laid out nicely. 
Um, very good production design on it. You know, it's easy to read. Um, has some nice graphics in it. Uh, you know, at the be beginning of the book, you know, there's a little bit of description. You know, the Jarl has died. You're all trying to become the next Jarl. Um, gives you a little bit of the goal of the game. It tells pretty clearly you're trying to gain glory. And so the, whoever has the most glory at the end is the winner. That's nice and simple. Um, a nice little picture of the different types of components you're going to run into. Um, then it has a, a fairly simple uh, setup telling you what to lay out for however many players. Um, I think the only thing that really changes for a number of players is the number of workers you start with and uh, the military and economic tiles, which are just locations you can go to to get different things. Um, I think one of the economic tiles we got was gain two glory. So that one didn't really get... I, I don't know that anyone visited that. I think maybe once. I think my wife, Anik, I think she went to it once and then that was it. So it wasn't an overly useful one. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more useful ones that will show up. But well, that was just in our game. It may have been useful had someone used it every turn too. If we were it could letting, could have been a really big boost in glory. That's true. If you if you went to it every turn, that's like you know out of eight turns, that could be potentially sixteen glory that you could get just from going to that one spot um, for giving up a worker, which isn't nothing to laugh at. Like two glory every turn. Sometimes out of a monster, you might only get two glory. Like a a troll, a troll would maybe be worth two glory, or one of the undead could be two or or so glory. They weren't a worth a lot really so yeah instead of fighting you could just be picking up glory without wasting um, warriors um, then it has a description of playing the the game you know the different round setups and, and what you do um, the different types of uh, locations you can go to they have different borders a, a brown border is one that you would resolve immediately um, blue is also resolved immediately it says but they, uh, they they receive special attention during round setup, so they're the ones that will accumulate additional resources or warriors each round if no one goes to it. And then red locations are their combat locations, where at the end of the round when everybody's done assigning workers, that's where you're going to be assigning your warriors to as the different red locations. Then it goes on, the book describes all the different locations you can go to and, and what you can do with those locations. They're fairly brief descriptions because it's a worker placement game. There's not a lot of complexity here. I think the only thing that we may not have mentioned, there are locations where, there's a couple of locations we didn't talk about just briefly. Um, one was a trading location you can go to, um, where you can trade... Um, resources for gold or other resources. Exactly, yeah, one for, on a one-for-one one basis. So that was a way to get gold or resources, is just going there. Um, the Jarl's Longhouse, uh, that's where, how you can change the, uh, the first player token. So you, whoever is the first player will stay the first player unless somebody goes to the, yard, the longhouse. And then whoever goes there will get the first player token and they'll get a swordsman. So you get two things for going there. Um, and the other one we didn't talk about was... I just saw it here. At least I thought I saw Oh, the Stav Church, Stave Church. Uh, and that's where you're paying coins to get um, favor. favor tokens. So we mentioned you can get favor from defeating the um, the bigger monsters. You could also buy favor by going to the church, which Again, pretty much I, correlates. I, I don't think we use that space very often either. Again, I remember it being visited once. I think it was yeah, visited once. Again, I think it was my wife who visited yep. that one. Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, that's the, uh, that's the different locations you can go to. I don't think there was anything that was much more different than that. Yeah, that was the different locations. And then it goes on to describe the different kinds of stalls you can get. Um, 
for so military in our, and economic. In our four-player game, we played with all four locations that could possibly have a stall, had a stall. That's right. And two were military and two were economic. And for game variety, you would have, there's actually four economic tiles and four military tiles, if I'm not mistaken. That's what it looks like in the uh, the manual here. That's right. So there's a, there's a chance that you will have slightly different gameplay every time with those stalls. So right. the, the positions change up. And uh, like I said, the the one we didn't use much because it was just plus two glory. Yeah. But the other one was plus two spearmen that we had. And yeah, that, that was one, one of was, the military ones. Yeah. We, we competed for that one pretty regularly. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was one... Yeah, I see it here where you pay a, one coin to get um, one swordsman and one spearman. So I believe that was one of the military ones. There was um, one here. I can't remember which of the other one we had was, but there's one here that you pay one wood to get two spearmen. Uh, there's another one where you can pay one food to get two swordsmen. And the last one is to pay two coins and to collect uh, one swordsman and one axeman. I can't remember what the second one we had was, but it, you know, it's obviously one of those other ones. It might have been the swordman and the axeman for two gold, potentially. And then the economic ones, obviously we talked about the one where you could score two glory. Uh, another one is where you just collect two coins from the supply, so if that one's out, that's a good way to get coins. Uh, there's one for collect one food and one wood from the supply. And then the last one where you return, you pay one food to collect one favor and you may repeat this action up to three times with a single activation. So up to three food for up to three favor. Uh, I believe the other one we had... Food and wood. Food and wood, yeah. It was that generous merchant where you get one food and one wood just for going there. So those are different uh, stalls you can you can get. So it, it pretty much ex goes through and just explains the game really nicely. Um, I, you know, I didn't find if we did have to go to the the manual. You know, it wasn't like we weren't hunting for anything for too no, long. No, it was pretty clear. It was pretty clear. Uh, as a good example here for combat in here and um, uh, how to use the dice. And yeah, that's essentially it. That was that's the manual, and then it has the cleanup section, and then the final scoring section, and there's a bit of an appendix just to um, oh, it describes the different leaders here. I think um, yeah, I think I had. Gilfer, which is half merchant, half warrior, and I can visit the uh, the merchant for free. Uh, yeah, and I believe your wife uh, Tara, she had the the swords maiden, Von Hilder, the sword maiden. She got an extra success whenever she rolled a sword on a sword. That's right. So didn't give you any. It still had the three blanks on the uh, on the die, but for every success you did get, you had an extra success out of it, which was nice. I think I was Alf the Berserker. Was that he gains extra glory when you roll double swords or double spears? That's right. So whenever you got a two hit result on the die, you gained glory. And yeah, actually, that came up quite a bit it, for you. It did. Yeah, I, I would say that the characters aren't quite balanced well enough though because mm. I I think the best ability of them was yours where you got free stuff from the market just going to the market was free yeah so either the other players had to try to block me from there which didn't come which up a lot didn't come didn't up try. a lot but yeah well um, with three workers you you weren't thinking about who you were going to block you were thinking more where you were going to go what you needed what you needed yeah but I like what was a Nyx I'm just, trying to, I'm just reading here. There's Asmunder the Oh, Pios. she got to get an extra destiny whenever she went to the sage. Right. Okay. 
or the seer i forget what it was called that, i think that's dagrun the destined yeah she got to look at sage, two yeah. of the cards and pick which destiny she wanted to keep when she went there right yeah so that's just a few of the that's a, the the player um the characters that we had chosen and there's a i think uh, one there's two, one or three, two more four five there's one other that didn't get chosen and i think that was the pious um has turned acquisition of favor into a glorious pursuit so his ability essentially allows him to use his favor tokens for free he will always gain the two glory from them whether he spends them or for re-rolling or not okay so if you have all those different favor tokens and you use them you still keep them because you're going to get glory for them so with how much favor was in the game and how little we used it I don't know that that maybe more experienced players would have they would have used it more yeah Having the ability, like having a free reroll without having to worry about wasting points, points. W- probably would have made it more useful. Right? Yeah, because then you would t- you'd have all these coins and you would just you would use them as you needed them. Rather than seeing them as spending victory points to do something now, you mm-hmm. would see it as why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so I could see his value. Yeah, no, I can definitely see his value. So that's um, Champions of Midgard. So that was our first game. Um, so now we'll go on to the next one. We'll talk about Blood Rage. That was released in uh, November 2015. The designer is Eric M. Lang, and he's actually done quite a bit. If you go through his list of games that he's designed, you'll definitely see a, a n- number of notable games, especially uh, ones for Fantasy Flight and for Comini or not. Um, he does uh, the Lord of the Rings confrontation game. That was the uh, that was the deck built, not really deck building game, but it was one of the collectible deck games, the living card game, I should say. The Call of Cthulhu living card game. Game of Thrones living card game, Warhammer Invasion, Chaos in the Old World. That's a you know an older but like a really popular one. He did Quarriers and even did the, uh, the Marvel Dice Masters. So he started the whole Dice Masters craze. Um, Chaos Ball, maybe not one of his shining ones. <laughs> um, again, the Star Wars card game, forty Warhammer forty K living card game, Arcadia Quest, another really popular Comini or not one. Uh, the Dungeons and Dragons dice. So he's done a lot for both um, Fantasy Flight and for Cool Mini and Not, and some really popular games. So he's had quite a quite the career starting around that 2005. It says um, the artists. Now there's quite a few artists for Blood Rage, whereas you know we had you know one artist on Champions of Midgard for Blood Rage. We have a, a series of artists. We had, uh, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce half these names because well, actually they're not too bad. It's only one, Hennig Ludvigsen. Okay, he's. Uh, I think that's close. That's yeah. I think that's about <laughs> as close as I'll get. Mike McVeigh and Adrian Smith. So those are the artists. Quite a few publishers were listed, like um, for this game. It's Kumini or not? I think is the main one, but Asmodee, Asterian Press, and others as well. I think uh, depending on where the game was released is who um, might be the primary publisher. Uh, mechanisms it mentions: um, action point allowance system, area control slash area influence area movement, and card drafting. Uh, it has an impressive 8.2 rating on BoardGameGeek with uh, 7.5 thousand ratings. So you can really tell. It's it's one of the hot games out there right now, that's for sure. Um, and it, it's really reflected in the, um, the score, just how many people went to rate it and how high a score it has. So, Blood Rage. And this one was actually quite surprising. Um, I know my wife enjoyed playing it. She really enjoyed it. I think mine, she enjoyed it. I think she actually enjoyed Champions a little bit better. A little bit more. But uh, I, I 
think it had to do a little bit with misunderstanding some of the mechanics at the beginning mm, of yes. Blood Rage. Right. And that has a little bit to do with the rule book itself, if we wanted to start there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blood Rage, is it's interesting. It was... Was it the? I guess out of the two, it was the harder to maybe explain. Yes, that's where it really tried to teach and and figure out. But once you got into it, the game mechanics were fairly simple. Much easier. Much easier to play. Um, it lacked. It didn't have as much complexity. I shouldn't say lack because that is, seems negative. It didn't right. have the complexity of Champions of Midgar. It was at its heart simply a drafting cards game and playing mm-hmm. with the cards that you draft. Right. Um, yeah, so set up, uh, you have this, uh, it's a smaller board than Champions, but it's a still a good-sized board. Um, yeah, basically, it's you're looking at an island. The island um, has three different provinces, um, three different regions, I should say. Each region would have, looks like, two to three provinces, and each province would have... Looking a number from, of cities, a number three of to cities, five? Three up to five, that's right. Three to five cities in each province. And then in the middle of everything is, um, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but Zygrasil. I could be totally pronouncing that wrong, but whatever. Um, which is like sort of the center area. Um, setting up the game, uh, you're going to be putting out uh, uh, pillage tokens on each region, on each province. Um, and then, um, depending on the number of players, there are going to be a, a certain number of provinces that are pre-destroyed have already gone through Ragnarok, I guess you could say. Um, what else was there? Uh, each person starts with their own clan. The, um, other than the miniatures and the symbol, the clans are generic. There's no real difference between each clan. Um, each clan has a little board, which uh, which will have like an area for your leader, an area describing your warriors, and then some upgrade areas, or well, an area for your ship, some upgrade areas for the clan, and then a couple upgrade areas for the, any monsters you might pick up. And and your warriors and your leader and your ship can also be upgraded. So even though um, they don't have a specific upgrade card area, I think it's sort of, you're supposed to place the upgrades just off the board. Um, each one can be upgraded. There's tracts on, the bo- on your player board for determining rage and determining your starting rage. Like there's um, three different tracks. There's the rage track, the um, glory glory track and the track for however many warriors you can have on the board at one time, um, and they all start at the you know the beginning of the track. Uh, rage will start; it's sort of in the middle of the board, and it starts at whatever your starting rage is, which everybody is going to be six. six. Yeah, everyone starts with six rage, and six is the point allocation system. So it's you're spending rage to do things on the board in different ways. Um, but before you're, you know, really placing anything on the board, you're going through a draft. There's three different ages in the game: the first, second, and third age. Pretty simple. Um, and the cards get more powerful as you go to each age. Um, so you take the age one cards. Make sure you have the number of cards required for the uh, number of players you're playing. Shuffle them up and ra- and deal them out to everybody. Everyone's going to have typically eight cards, and then. Um, they will draft. So you pick a card and pass. I think it goes clockwise first round for the first and third age and counterclockwise for the second age, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then when you get down to two cards, so when you're, you've picked out six out of the eight cards, um, then the last two cards go back in the box. And it's just a simple draft. Uh, the type of cards you're drafting 
are um, there are straight combat cards, which will be used later on for um, combats between whenever the players. You pillage. Whenever you pillage. Um, there are upgrade cards, which will be upgrading your clan or, or one of your units or adding monsters to your uh, clan. And then there are also quest cards, which will come at the end of each age, or before the end of each age, but after everyone's done playing, uh, using their, their rage, um, which will get you points um, when, when it's time to go through those quests. See, it already sounds more complex than it, it is. It does. It really sounds more <laughs> complex. It, it, it sounds complex, but it is a fairly simple game. It's just it's one of those things. Um, so once everyone's done drafting, then they'll start um, with the first player. Um, I can't remember how you determine the first player in this one. I think it was whoever... Whoever was born the furthest north. That's right. Whoever's born the furthest north. So unless your um, gaming group changes a lot, you're always going to have the same first player. So, you know, I think after the first time, you're going to be find a way to randomize it. A different randomizer. That's right. Um, so the first player will just start doing different actions. And there's five different actions you can do um, during your turn. Can I read those from here? The different actions are... Um, invade. Which is... The, the very first one, I believe, is invade. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, invade. Um, so you're spending um, rage equal to the strength of the figure you're invading with. And when you invade, you're placing a figure onto a space, one of the towns in one of the uh, provinces. Um, except for Yggdrasil. That's the only place you can't invade into. Um, I believe there's one monster out there. Yeah, that, one witch, an exception to the rule. Um, was it the elves? Yeah, a dark elf or something. Maybe the maybe. dark elf, yeah. But otherwise, you're just invading into a city. Your leader can invade for free, so he's a he has a fairly strengthy warrior that can just go right away. And your warriors start out with uh, a cost of like one strength for invading. And then your ship is two strength, but ships don't invade into provinces, they invade into fjords. And the fjords will connect two different provinces. So there's a few fjords around the board that will connect two provinces together. Um, and typically it would be in different regions as well. So you're connecting two provinces in two different regions with what one fjord. You put your ship in that fjord and your that ship is considered to be connected to either province it's beside. Um, so that's invading. Marching, uh, where if you have a number of figures on the board already, you can spend one rage to march um, between uh, one province and somewhere else on the board. So it could be another province, it could be into Yggdrasil, but basically you're just moving warriors that are in one province to somewhere else on the board. Uh, upgrade, um, that's where you're taking one of the cards, upgrade cards you may have drafted in your hand and placing it on your uh, board for the strength that it says on the card. And depending on the type of upgrade card, sometimes they'll let you invade for free right away. So if it's a, a warrior upgrade, you can send out a send warrior. Send a warrior. Monster. If you buy a monster, he can immediately come out. That's right. And if it's a leader upgrade, again, your leader can come out for free. He already can come out for free, but it's just a, another way of getting your leader out there. Yeah. And ship upgrades lets you bring your ship out for free. Um, clan upgrades typically don't let you bring out something for free. Um, now I should say... We were just playing with the base set. Um, this is what the, the Game Cafe had. So it didn't have any of the additional upgrades that are out there. Um, you know, it didn't have the fifth player expansion, which also gives you the Boar Tribe. Or um, there's also the upgrade that gives you the um, the shamans, but they're not called shamans, mystics, the, uh, the mystic upgrades. So we weren't playing with mystics. Mystics is a clan upgrade. Again, it lets you bring your, when you play a Mystic upgrade, you can bring it up for free. 
Uh, Mystics are a little different, but we didn't play with them, so we won't talk about them in this game. Um, so that was upgrades. Uh, quests. Um, so if you want to play a quest, it doesn't cost you anything to play it, but you place it face down on your player board somewhere just to say, I'm questing, you put it face down. So at the end of the uh, age, you will flip it, and then you'll see if you get points for it. And then there's pillaging. Pillaging is where you take um, a warrior that's either in a province, or if you have a ship next to a province, you can say, I'm going to pillage this province. And so once you say you're pillaging, then your opponents can bring over warriors who are adjacent to the province you're trying to pillage to try and stop you. Um, so everybody gets a chance to bring people in. Once everyone's done bringing people in or the province is full, like you know, if all the cities have a figure on them, then you're, you're done with people coming in. And then you go on to the pillage phase where everybody's going to start playing um, combat, cards. combat cards. Everybody will choose a card from their hand and put it face down in front of them. It doesn't have to be a combat card. Like if you don't want to add a combat card, you could say, and you you know you could put down a um, an upgrade card or a quest card just just to have a card down. Everyone flips over and then it resolves the combat. Um, the different types of resolutions. Some cards might have special text on them. You'll have to go through first, which could affect things. I think either Odin or Thor might have cards where it makes you, you know, potentially discard figures or cards. Um, Loki will typically have cards which won't add anything to the combat, but give you rewards for losing. Yeah, combat. give you rewards for losing the combat. Could be stealing rage from your um, opponents, which can be really hurtful, especially early game. Um, and I think later on he has special ones which will let you steal glory from your uh, opponents, stealing points. Um, and potentially even stealing cards. I think I saw somewhere you could steal cards from your opponent as well. So you'll play your cards, and then once you flip them up, you'll total up the strength of all the figures on your side and any cards you played. And who, in the end, whoever has the highest strength is the winner. Everybody else who is in the battle will lose, um, get their cards back, so they don't lose the card, but they, um, they will lose all their figures that are in that battle. They'll go to Valhalla which is a little sideboard that's sort of off to the beside uh, the main, somewhere somewhere beside the main board. It's just a little area. stores all the dead until the next round. stores all the dead, yeah. So they're sort of out of play until the next age. Um, and depending on certain cards you get, you might get points for that. But regardless, though they're out of play. That the winner um, will discard the card they used to win. So regardless of what kind of card that person may have played, they'll lose that card if they're the winner. So if it was a, a quest or a, a upgrade card, you have to be sure you want to. You're willing you're to willing lose that to card sacrifice if you win. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you've won, uh, whoever wins the battle will gain some glory based on um, where their current glory um, token is on their track. So the three different tracks. One was glory. Um, if you won that battle, you'll gain points equal to wherever you currently are on that track. And then whoever wins, if if you initiated the pillage, and you win then you'll get the um, pillage token in the center of that province. And the different types of pillage tokens are, there's one for each... Upgrade on up, your track. Upgrade on your track. So there's a, one for rage, one for... Well, Glory for battle, one for more forces on the board that's each right. age. That's right. So um, what do they call it here? Uh, horns, that's right. So the one that determines the amount of figures you can have on the board at any one time is called horns. It's, a, it's the black track. That one... Um, 
is important because it starts out at four. So you can only ever have four figures on the board at one time, including your ship, I believe. So you really have to watch that, especially I think in our game. It at first, it, I think so. I think we noticed it when for someone first tried to place more than they had. Yeah, we caught it fairly quickly before there was any kind of breaking of the rules, which was good. Um, so you'll get whichever pillage reward there is, and there's one other one. Oh, actually, there's two more. There's one where you just get five glory points for pillaging that province. Uh, the last pillage reward is for Yggdrasil in the middle. Yggdrasil is a bit unique in that you can have any number of figures in the middle. So if you go into the middle and you say, "I'm going to pillage," you know, people can bring as you know, keep bringing in. Well, figures. It's, a, it's also adjacent to everything yeah, but it's the fjords. Everything. That's right. So the only thing that can't come into a battle in Yggdrasil is your ships, but everything else can. Um, but and there's a good reason for this. Whoever successfully pillages Yggdrasil will get each of their tracks moved up one. So that's important. It's three upgrades in one Three pillage. upgrades in one battle. So it, it, it came down quite a few times where there was like huge massive battles in that center area just to uh, try to get it. Um, so those are the different pillage rewards that we'll run into. So after... So you basically keep going around the table, each taking turns, um, spending rage as you as you need to, or losing rage depending on on what's happening, until you get down to zero rage. Once you get down to zero rage, you can take no more actions. So this could happen at any point for somebody. So you bring out a couple big monsters, you could be down to zero rage right away, and then you're sort of waiting the rest of the game or rest of that age. Rest of that age, yeah. Everybody else finishes their turns. So there could be a little bit of waiting around, but we didn't find it was too detrimental. It wasn't a lot. I think in the first round, we discovered how important rage was. Yeah. It was something you wanted to conserve as much as possible and do your free actions as earlier in the phase so that you have more to outmaneuver your opponents as you go on. But it it still went quickly. Like I think when someone went to zero rage, they weren't waiting around for everyone else forever. We went to the next stage fairly smoothly. Yeah, yeah, true. Because this is a game. You know, once you sort of figure it out, it's not that it's, hard. It's pretty quick. It's a pretty simple well. game. There's a lot of strategy. So don't make me think that it's not a hard game. There's a lot of strategy you have to take into play. Definitely. So sometimes there can be a little bit of paralysis as you're trying to figure out. Okay. Do I want to pillage here now, or do I want to try to bring somebody else in? Do I want to like invade, get one more figure in there before I try to pillage, hoping that somebody else won't pillage before you? So there's a lot of choices to make, but for the most part, it, it was fairly quick. It, it went. And I think that how you draft in the beginning of each mm-hmm. phase, uh, it, it kind of dictates how you're going to play that round. Absolutely. So yeah. it you kind of pick your strategy before you go into placing things at the beginning so i i think in all three ages that we played i felt i knew exactly what i wanted to do right from the outset and you're competing with the other players in the sense that you need to get to your objectives before someone else takes it from you Mm -hmm. just accidentally even most of the time because i mean if they pillage the only way to increase your amount of figures on the board and one of your objectives is to have as many people dead in Valhalla as you can so you want to bring out people and get them killed as quick as possible it impacts how you do things throughout the right, right. throughout the round yes. so yeah absolutely so, so it, it's got deep strategic and tactical play but it is simplistic 
in that once you start going you know what you want to do and it, the risk is when you play a card or how you play a card not not anything else other than that really right it's pretty simple yeah yeah so the, then the game does definitely has some complexity to it for being a very simple game yes um so yeah after you after everyone's done with their rage we've all spent all our rage and we're done then you go to the next phase um of the age which is discarding down to one card so if you by some means still have more than one card in your hand you discard down to one so you keep one everything else goes back in the box then you do the questing so everybody who's played quest cards will flip them up and determine if they get the points for that quest um, the kind of quests I've seen were um, typically whoever had the most power in a province in a region would get points so like uh uh, there's like three different regions really um there's a, a yellow region a red region and a bluish region or is it gray uh, blue or gray One yeah or two. Well, it might be actually yellow gray and blue but either way there's three different regions with two to three provinces in them so if you have the most strength in one of those provinces that's depicted on the quest card you'll get the points for that card and an upgrade typically to your one of, of you, your choice rage right. or glory or figures horns yeah horns yes that's right so that's right um so if you successfully do a rage you'll get to do an upgrade which is um pretty powerful um one thing i should mention on your player boards your little um what do you call that chart or not chart but uh levels for each of those have several different um they increase in strength obviously but there's a couple areas near the end of the uh of, of the tract, that's why I meant track, is uh, we'll get additional points at the end of the game. So if you get to the first area, so after you've done like about four upgrades in a particular track, you'll get a 10 additional points at the end of the game. And if you get all the way to the end of the track, you'll get 20 different, 20 additional points for that um, track at the end of the game. So that's, you know, if you get all three of your um, tracks up there, you can get potentially 60 points at the end of the game, which could be huge. Yeah, and there was like they don't once you get to 10 figures i think you reach a maximum of 10 figures with your horns right. upgrade before you reach the end of the tract the only purpose to getting to the end of the tract is the bonus points right so there is a limit to the usefulness of upgrading them for what you can do in a single round but by the end of the game when you're scoring those points I, well it had a huge impact on our game yeah. for the final grip point well when we scored the points at the end mm -hmm. me being able to pull out 60 points from there brought me from like last place to first place because no one really noticed what was going on until it was too late right so the, those were they were nice to upgrade to get the 20 points but not necessary if you have another goal in mind it's right. just another way to score some points but at the end of the game mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so yeah it can i guess it can vary and we'll talk about this when we compare the two games near the end um just how the scoring was different between the two games um so after we've done um, the quest everyone done their quests and scored them then you do ragnarok so i guess one thing i forgot to mention at the beginning of each age there's going to be one province that's going to be destroyed at the end of that age so you put a little token just so you know which one it is and if there's any warriors during ragnarok in that province they'll get sent to Valhalla. Now the bonus, um, it's really, you have to choose it, it, what's more important to you. Do you want to try to keep warriors on the map or do you want to try to get the points for going to Ragnarok? Because depending on the age, you're going to get a point, um, certain number of points per figure that goes to Valhalla during Ragnarok. 
And I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't mention at this point that I think both of our wives complained about the token that is used to mark the province as not being clear enough for which province was going to be destroyed. Yeah, that's It true. really bothered them that because we were playing with a non upgraded edition where it's just a flat token where i a guess flat the red these people who kickstarted it or something got, got a, a special little a miniature. special miniature for it which yeah. would have made it clearer but yeah, yeah they, they did not like that it was hard to see which province was going to be destroyed I, I didn't have much of a problem i don't know if you did i no i didn't really have much of a problem with it but i could see their point because when you look at the it's different... It's the same coloration as the Rage token the that rage you would token. pillage. Yeah. So it, even though it looks different than the Rage, it is very close in color. So it could be confusing if you weren't paying close enough attention. You could cons you know, confuse the Doom token to be a Rage token and forget that that province is being sent to Valhalla at the end of the age. Or not Valhalla, Ragnarok. But yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a niggly point, but I do get it. Yeah. I understood their comment. It could have been yeah. a little more distinctive, but I, I didn't personally have an issue with it. So yeah. I, I think it's more, I, it might be just experience with games yeah. overall might dictate whether you miss it or not. Right, exactly. Um, and then, so at the end of, when during Ragnarok, uh, during the first age, you'll get two points um, for each figure that's sent to Valhalla. Um, and then I think it's like three points and four points for ages two and three. Um, after you've done with Ragnarok and destroyed that province, you then um, everybody who's currently in Valhalla gets released. So you get all your figures back into your pool. So you, you don't get to put them back on the board right away. You have to buy them back onto the board like usual. But you have them available to you as well. And this includes monsters. Um, we mentioned that uh, during the upgrades or when you're drafting cards, there are monster upgrades. There's a few different monsters that come base with the game. Um, I know there's more you can get as well. There's like a couple different giants, there's a troll, um, so there's some large, there's a sea serpent which acts like a boat, and then there's some smaller ones which are like there's the, um, the dark elves, um, there's witches, um, there's some undead warriors, so there's lots of, a few different smaller ones you can get as well. Regardless of a size of a warrior, even you know they have big bases, but they still only take up one space, one on the board. So once you've recruited a monster into your army, uh, he stays with you until you either replace him yeah, until you replace them. Otherwise, you always have them. So if he gets sent off to Valhalla, you'll get him back at the end of the uh, the age, and you'll be able to use him again next turn. Which can be really important for some of these monsters, because some of them have interesting effects when they go onto the board. Um, there's a couple, like the troll. He'll send all... Like, if you send, if you um, invade him into a province that has enemy, to um, enemy warriors in it, he'll send all enemy units to Valhalla as soon as he invades a province, except for monsters. Um, the fire giant's similar, except uh, he will send everybody to Valhalla, regardless if it's a monster or not. Um, and then, I can't remember all the other abilities, but, uh, you know, you get the idea. Um, each monster has a special ability, making them useful for having in your in your uh, army. So you get everybody back at, you know, at when you release Valhalla, then you move on to the next stage. And then you do the drafting again, um, you do the you know, spending rage again. You know, the, the gameplay pretty much just keeps going the exact same way. There's no real differences between the ages other than the cards get more powerful. Um, the uh, the points you get for Ragnarok get higher. Um, and that's about it. And, and the quests really stayed pretty close to the same too. I think they were the same quests throughout. You just yeah, got a few more, more points. points. Yeah, more points for the quests. And the abilities for the different... Um, 
battle cards. And the battle cards, I should mention, are all linked to various gods. I mentioned before there was um, Odin, um, Thor, Loki, and there's also Tyr, and there's also um, Freya, I believe her name is. She had, um, she had both upgrade cards and some battle cards, I believe, as well. Um, so each god has a little bit different play style. It's, um, it's hard to know if you really want to focus on one god or... You don't want to really focus on all the gods because then you're going to... Yeah, for, for battle, I, I found you typically weren't going to use more than one or two battle cards in a age. Yeah. So you typically were all going to pick one god to kind of stick with. And, I mean, early it was Loki seemed to be the powerful one if you didn't plan on winning your battles anyways if yeah. you just were gonna let your guys get sacrificed for an extra play because you stole people's rage with his card and then for the upgrades and stuff i don't think the god really uh, i wasn't worried about what the god on the card was i was worried more of the effect true yeah. so i mixed them more there yeah because frida she was a lot more upgrades maybe she didn't have any combat cards and i'm thinking about it but she definitely had upgrades, and her upgrades could affect things like you you recruit, um, you invade a province, and you can take an extra person to that province yep. when you do it. I think I had one of hers that reduced all my upgrades by a point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she had one where it made upgrades cheaper, which is a really nice one. Um, so yeah, she was very much upgrade centric, whereas the male gods were more the combat gods. Yeah, yeah. Even their upgrades were make your warriors tougher. They became like two strength instead of one. Right, yeah. Your warriors can get stronger that way. Yeah, and your leader as well. Um, there was some, I remember there was one upgrade for your leader that um, if you successfully pillage a province with your leader, all of your tracks will move up yeah. instead of just the one, which is which could be pretty powerful. Um, and ships, you know, I don't remember. I didn't really play any upgrades on ships. No one played an upgrade for yeah. ship, I don't think. Yeah, so the ships didn't really see a lot of action. They did come out. And they were used in battles, but um, yeah, and the, I think I, people placed more importance on their troops. I, I'm, to be fair, I'm not sure that we, like, if we were to play the game several times, oh, you sure. might, you would definitely see it. I'm sure because it's not. Yeah. We're not saying the ships weren't valuable or that their upgrades were bad. It's just first time through, they came out a few times, but I think people were more focused on monsters and warriors than they were on the boats. Yeah, and clan upgrades. The clan upgrades were pretty um useful as well yes definitely yeah. so um yeah so really other than things getting a little bit more powerful gameplay doesn't really change it just keeps going um until you have a winner really uh you, you keep going um you go through the third ragnarok and um you get points based on on your quests and any special cards you might have like um, there's one upgrade card that was really powerful for you got points um when you released characters from Valhalla, so yeah, it was one of Loki's. Yeah, it was one of Loki's, and it was a really it got me a lot of points. Actually, and I, I was using it. Yeah, I a lot and, of points and I think it started off with the first age. You got one point. The second age, if you took the next upgrade it for it, it was points. two, and then three in the final age if you bought the third upgrade right, for it. Yeah. So he, if you, there's definitely card combinations that you can get in this game, which will help you, you know, gain a lot of points. Um, where if you play them in the right, you know, you get them in the right order or play them in the proper way, you'll get a ton of points before you even get to the end of the game. So it, it, there are combos to be to be had in this game. Um, and the game, actually the game ended up being fairly close. Like you, you won the game, which 
Jeff wins a lot of games. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the game in the end was fairly close. Um, I'm just looking at the scores here. Well, actually, okay. Fairly close between me and Jeff. Um, because he ended the game with 150 points. I ended the game with 143. Then our wives were quite a bit back. Um, Tara had 88 and, and, and Nick had 60. So you could see that there could be quite a gap in this game. Uh, and again, I think it comes back to experience with gaming like the it's it was a drafting game and if you get confused because there's some very nice miniatures with this game Mm -hmm. and you might think that it's a miniature combat type game looking at the miniatures but it it really came down to it was a car drafting game Mm -hmm. with area control if they would have seen that from the beginning their point because they both played games like seven wonders say which is almost directly comparable to this game for how you draft cards and how you play it it's just got a more physical representation of what you're doing with the miniatures and the board that you're playing on and moving along so a little more experience with games when you're first time playing you're going to see a little better result than someone who's not as familiar with the different game mechanics Mm because they haven't played as many as yourself so yeah, um, and it was, it was the first time for your, yourself and Nick and Tara playing this game. I had actually played this game a couple of times before with varying success. I, I've never actually won this game, but um, the last time I played it, um, there was four of us playing, and one guy looped the track twice. It was just the, the difference in score was I, just... I'm a, guessing he was playing Loki upgrades. He was playing Loki, he was playing the Valhalla cards, and he was just, yeah, it was just we weren't keeping him in check and we and we paid for it yeah, yeah. um but there so this is the out of the two games this game definitely has the bigger point spread it can like it can really be a big difference between first and last place definitely where in midgar i think we were all a lot we were closer. all close and i think it came down to whether or not you and tara defeated the monsters that you went after in the last round whether that you were going to be first or third kind of thing yeah because looking in champions of midgard the range was you won with 82 points and the lowest was 62 points. So there's a 20 point gap, but in between, you know, I had 68 and Tara had 71. So we were all fairly close, yeah. really. Like it wasn't well, that when, far. when you think of what one monster could be worth 15 points, that 15 a, glory. Yeah, that's a huge amount. That, that leapfrogs you over top of first place if you successfully completed that in your last turn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's Blood Rage. Um, now, going at the manual, I definitely found the manual a bit lacking. It, um, it does look nice, you know, it has some really nice artwork on it. You know, I can't um, fault that design. We weren't a huge fan of the, the one font they used, the main font they were using for the board. On the board, and in the, it's not throughout the rule book. Like, their actual rules are described in normal font. In normal text. standard font. But, but when you have, like, the different headers were in this special font and while they weren't illegible, it's not unreadable yeah it just takes effort it just takes a little bit of effort so that was a bit of a little bit of a niggly complaint i had um on it um the layout again not my favorite layout it takes you till page nine before you even find out about setup so they're going over you know they're going over the objective of the game which is fine they, they show you the components you know all the different figures that's great but then, you know, it takes a while before you actually find out how to set the game up. Not that there's a lot to setting this game up, but... I think if you want to know the rules, the easiest place to go, the, the most clear, succinct spot to get your rules for this game was the very end, the summary. That's the all you, summary. Yeah, yeah, if you read through the rule book, it, it makes it more complex than it needs to be. Yeah. 
That's true. Um, so yeah, and when you have to look something up in the rule book, it wasn't quite, you know, you're looking through a lot of text and you're, you're trying to find, okay, what am I, where is it describing what I want to find out? Well, and there were two instances, I believe, where we had to actually go to facts online That's because right. it wasn't clear enough in the rule book. Yeah. One was um, Frigga, I think, I don't know, it could be, I think it's Frigga. She had a special card where when you invade with a, a miniature, you get to bring a warrior in for free. Um, what wasn't clear is if a ship counted as that, um, as one of the ones you can invade to, because it talks about invading a province, whereas a ship technically is invading a, a fjord. fjord. But um, online, and I believe it's one of the designers, I can't remember the name, um, or it might have been a publisher, but somebody, one of the people involved with the game did mention that, yes, when you invade with a ship, you also get figure's ability to invade with that figure as well. But it's not clear like it, you can't really look in the rules and say yep this is what happens you know I, I pillage and I get there's no real description of the various cards in the manual and there was no description the other time we had to look something up was when there was three people participating in a battle yeah and two people lose the battle but what order do you resolve the loss the loss is it the person who lost by the most or the person who's directly left from the person who won and it turned out it was the person directly to the left starts right. off as first order. defeated yeah and this is important for uh loki's ability whereas if you lose you steal rage you steal rage so who are you stealing the rage from are you stealing it from the winner or are you stealing it from the so it went in order as opposed to you know and it just so happened in our situation we had two people play the same loki card so they That's both got to steal rage but the person who won the battle only had one rage to steal that's right so those two rules questions, I think, killed probably about 20 minutes of time yeah. trying to figure out how we play it properly. How to so resolve it, yeah. If a better rule book had been there, maybe it would have sped things up. Maybe those questions wouldn't have been answered anyways. Yeah. In a normal rule book, it's hard to say. It's one of those things where... It's situational. Might, yeah, it's situational. And, and you know, maybe it's something where you have to print out the frequently asked questions beforehand if there is one that's out there that's been compiled. Even if, or by the publisher, or maybe on Board Game Geek, but it's an extra step you really shouldn't have to take. No, um, you know, especially if you're just if you're, like for us, we were at a board game cafe, we're just grabbing a game off the shelf and playing it. It's the type of thing that gets a game put back and not picked up again yeah. if it comes up your first playthrough. Yeah, and you know, being a, an average user, that could definitely happen. You know, for us at least, you know, we have experience in board games, so. It's 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 easier for us to go online and take a look. We know where to we look. We know where to go. You know where to go. It's not that hard to find. But your average person, they don't want to spend that time. They just want to play the game and, and you know, have fun. And that's fine. Um, not saying that there's anything wrong with the game. Just a little well, bit of a And having thing. said that, maybe having more experience with board games hurt us there because we wanted to do what was the rule instead of just... Making, making a house rule and going, well, this makes most sense right now. Yeah, yeah, and this it can make it in a situational rule where maybe in the future you would look it up. But because we were also playing these games for the podcast, we want to make we sure want to make sure we're doing it right. We're doing it right. Whereas another time we would just say, okay, well, for this game we'll do it this way. Look it up look after it up the later. fact. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's um, so that's Blood Rage. Now, if we were to go down and com you can't really compare the two because they are very different games. Thematically, they were the same, which is the inspiration. That's right. Yeah, but they were Viking they played based. very differently. Yeah, very differently. Very differently. Um, you know, being a uh, an area control and a drafting versus a um, 
worker placement, worker placement. and yeah. almost like dice drafting i would say yeah because you're, you're grabbing dice and you're using them to uh for your battles yeah so it's true um I just want to take a look at what the ultimate goal of this game was for Blood Rage. I just want to double check it before I, I go too far. Because um, it says, The goal of the game is to achieve the greatest amount of glory before the world finally comes to its fiery end. So in one game, you're tr you're all competing to become the next uh, Jarl. In this game, you're just, just going for the glory. You want the highest placement once you get to Valhalla. That's right. So the most glory you have, <laughs> the better yeah. you are. Yeah. Um, I know my wife enjoyed both games. She she really did. Um, I think she was getting a bit tired because it was a kind of a late night. So she didn't. We did uh, Champions of Midgard second, so she may not have been as alert. Enthusiastic for that one. For that one. Enthusiastic, <laughs> but she she did enjoy it. How about yours? Uh, I'd say she enjoyed both, but Tara, I believe, liked Midgard more. Yeah. And again, I think it came more from a perception of what the first game was going to be with the miniatures and stuff. And yeah. She's more comfortable with a game that's worker placement because she's played a lot more of that, obviously, with Lords of Waterdeep being a regular yep. game in our household. So it was a little more familiar, mm -hmm. I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and both games are excellent games. Um, I would gladly have either in my collection. Um, I know there's, uh, for some people who didn't take part in the Kickstarter, there's always that, um, we call it... Um, not being able to get necessarily everything that was available in the missed Kickstarter. Missed out on stuff. Missed out on stuff. It always <laughs> makes it tough when you're a collector. Um, you can get a lot of it. You can buy the base game. You can buy the fifth player expansion. I believe you can buy the Mystics. I believe that's an upgrade you can get just by buying it. Um, but some of the special tokens and stuff like that, which were you know part of the Kickstarter at this point anyways, I don't believe are available for purchase separately. I do know some games um, for Cool Mini and Not when they um, do a Kickstarter and they release special things for that Kickstarter. Quite often, you can buy a lot of those things separately. So I don't know if Blood Rage eventually those will become available to the probably depends public. on the popularity overall. And this is one of those popular games. It's um, it's talked about a lot. It um, there is a group here. We're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we have a group called the Edmonton Board Game League, and it's currently their um, game of focus. Um, which I take part in. So I'll be getting, you know, a couple more plays of this for sure. Um, so it is quite a popular game. And so, you know, out of, there's like 30 people in this group. So we have to have enough copies of this game to cover everybody. And we do. We, especially with the fifth player expansion, we can easily, you know, get enough copies in order to cover everyone. So it's a popular game. Champions of Midgard, on the other hand, I don't know if there's anybody in our group that has it. Um, it's out there. Um, and really, before I first played it, which was, I think, about a month ago, uh, I hadn't heard too much about it. I don't know if you've heard of either of these games, really. You no, you introduced me to both. I, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'd say for the... I, I understand the Board Game Geek ratings. Mm -hmm. I, I'll say that. Uh, I think Blood Rage overall was the better game for me. Mm -hmm. uh, Champions of Midgard, well, I didn't think it was a bad game. I thought it sort of lacked an identity. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean it... It wanted to be a dice drafting game to go and fight creatures, but at the same time it had worker placement. And then I felt that the monsters, where you had to journey overseas to fight them, I felt the mechanic was lacking a little bit and there wasn't enough reward for doing it. Right. Like there was more risk than reward for that aspect of the game. So 
for a worker placement game, I can think of better worker placement games to play sure. in its place. Right. And for the two of these games, I think that Blood Rage in itself was a little more entertaining overall as right. a first experience, one playthrough type thing. Right. It, definitely. it definitely struck me as the better of the two. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I agree. I totally agree. I did like Blood Rage better. I enjoyed both games, but Blood Rage, yeah, again, it, it's a simple game, but there's so many different things to consider. There, there's um, more tactics to it. There's You have an overall strategy that you can structure with the cards you draft, mm-hmm. and then the tactical play of dealing with what everyone else is doing while you're putting your figures out on the board, how you're questing, what you're pillaging. It It had a little more depth to it but it was still simplistic enough that I think you can sit down with new people and play it and have an enjoyable evening. Right, absolutely. Ah, well, there you have it. Um, yeah, we both enjoyed Blood Rage the most. Um, I think we're going to declare Blood Rage the winner for this podcast. Um, so there you go. That's that's the winner, Blood Rage. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so next, uh, we're going to go on to what's going to be our Imperial Assault segment. We're both... Um, kind of both into the skirmishes a lot um pretty heavily in imperial assault we've we we play regularly every regularly we've purchased all the miniatures all the expansions that are out there Um, well to be fair i haven't forced myself to pick up the freeloader people whatever they're called the scum the free the rodians oh the hired guns hired guns i always i forget their name but i hate them (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's true yeah um so at the end of each episode, we're going to have an Imperial Assault segment. Now, depending on what's happening, we might be dis- discussing um, current news for Imperial Assault. Um, it's been a bit of a slow month for um, playing Imperial Assault just because it's the summer. Um, you know, we have different obligations, you know, holidays, um, family, um, volunt- I do a lot of volunteering, so there's a lot of that. So this time around, we probably won't be discussing um, any lists that we're trying out. But, you know, there are some things that came out at the beginning of this month, some news items that we could discuss a little bit. Um, most um, uh, notably is that they're releasing a new expansion. Um, it's going to be coming up called Jabba's Realm expansion. Uh, it looks to be about the same um, box type and size that we saw with uh, Twin Shadows and uh, Bespin. Yeah, and well, for those who maybe aren't familiar with Imperial Assault, it comes it, they've already released three expansions i believe for it um we could twin the shadows hoth yeah. and the best bin that's right and now they're introducing a fourth one which they plan to have out by the end of this year 2016 yeah that's right and um this expansions tend to be in two different sizes um there's a smaller expansion which is uh they're all square boxes uh the smaller expansion will be a bit shallower um, it'll have less in it. It's going to have um, usually some tiles because it's a. Uh, if you've uh, if you're not familiar with Imperial Assault, but you have heard of Descent, it's um, a similar kind of game where it's a, a a tile map building kind of game where you have a, a map that you build out using tiles, um, and then your miniatures playing, move along the tile. Yeah, in instead a, of a free open miniature game, it's structured like a board game. That's right. Yeah. And um, if you're playing, casu- there's two different modes you can play. There's the um, the campaign mode, um, where you have one person playing the Imperials and up to four people playing Rebels, and then you're doing you're going on a missions in a campaign. So a campaign could have any number of missions. Up um, like a sh- a short campaign might have 
three or four missions involved, whereas um, a standard long campaign that comes with the core box or maybe with Hoth will have anywhere up to maybe eight or so missions. Eight or ten or eight something, or ten yeah. Missions. Quite a bit. Qu- quite a bit. So, um, But they the, the two types of uh, playing styles are very different. So that's the campaign where you have your little character, you're upgrading that character between missions, you're getting special abilities or equipment, that kind of thing. Then there's the skirmish, which is what we play the most. Uh, and the skirmish is you um, you pick a faction. Typically, there's three different factions. There's the Imperials, um, there's the Scum, which are like the mercenaries, and the uh, Rebels. And so you'll you'll pick a faction, you'll build a, an army from that faction, um, and your point value has to be up to uh, 40 points. 40 points, that's right. 40 points in, uh, in figures. And 15 points in command cards, which points in command give cards. little bonuses during the skirmish to your figures on the field. Right. And so, and there's not a lot of mixing, but there are cards for some of the factions that let you mix in other um, other so units. Usually, Never can you mix Imperial and Rebels, but you can have Scum play with Rebel and Scum play with Imperial. That's in right. Different variations based on the cards that you buy. Yeah. So um yeah, like so as we go in future episodes we'll probably talk about different lists that we're playing or trying out. There are a number of um big lists out there that get a lot of play in tournaments. Um so there's casual skirmish, but then there's also the tournament sk- skirmish. Um typically uh, throughout the year there's going to be a number of um special kits that uh, Fantasy Flight will release. And you can play a, an, in a tournament to get special rewards from that kit. It could be like alternate art cards for your figures. It can be special tokens that you can use for the game. Um, the game comes with a number of card, like a, quite a big number of cardboard tokens, which can be replaced with acrylic tokens you can get from these tournaments. And then they'll have various championships. There'll be like a store championship for the particular gaming store you go to. And then there'll be like a regional championship for your area, um, which could be, you know, depending on how big an area you're in it could just be for your province or state or it could be you know for your um that could be for the western area of your of your country or whatever in canada we have um our regionals but i think per province per ten, i'm not sure if i'm not sure if every province had a regional i know bc did bc did we did uh, we had to uh, we're in edmonton we had to go down to calgary for it but it's um you know it's a and we may drive, have but, encompassed saskatchewan but i mean we basically just had people from Alberta there it was all yeah just basically people from Alberta um, and then they have what they call I think they're nationals or worlds I can't remember what they call it but uh, that's going to be happening I think in November um, and that takes place in uh, Minneapolis yeah I believe so yeah I think it's in Minneapolis unfortunately we're not going to be able to make it down this year for the uh, the nationals or or worlds or whatever they call it but uh, it'd be really interesting to, to check out uh, we heard of uh, regionals in some areas where they had you know four players four out. people <laughs> and now and two of those players were from alberta um so i think it was like montana montana's was, regionals yes yeah, yeah where we had a couple couple of um, people from calgary who went down for their regionals and they made up almost half the uh the people playing but um, and i think we had 10 at ours yeah i think we had 10 or so um which it turns out isn't a bad show up for yeah uh, imperial assault currently which is a young game so hopefully it will catch on more yeah i think the only the real limiting factor in the game is the cost to get into it which they only keep increasing <laughs> exactly yeah so how it works is um when they're doing these big tournaments or during a tournament season or whatever they have certain maps that they've um released 
which are the valid maps for the tournament. Um, if you look in the skirmish rules or the uh, the tournament guide, it'll have a list of three different maps. Uh, these maps come with figures, so when you buy an upgrade figure, like uh, the game itself comes with a, you know, the core game comes with a whole swack load of figures. Um, each expansion will come with additional figures, but then they also release blisters of figures um, throughout, you know, in, scattered in between um, the major releases. And each blister and each box will come with maps. And um, so they'll take maps from all these different figures and whatever, and they'll pick, there'll be three that are currently the ones that are in use for tournaments. Um, currently, I think there's a core map. What is it, a core? Um, I think so. Uh, no, it was the Stormtrooper pack map. Oh, that's it right. Is currently training grounds. Yeah, the, uh, the map. Bantha map. The Bantha map. So uh, it's, I think it's Coruscant Junkyard or something like that. That's the new one. Yeah. And then um, Leia's map. Leia Organa's So one map. from the Hoth expansion. That's right, yeah. So those are the three current maps. And so the, the way the reason this gets expensive is there these maps are used tiles from various upgrades so you got the core set which has a set of tiles then each little set has a number of tiles types of tiles that come with it hoth being one that gave you all the um snow covered tiles so if you're using a map from somebody who was very hoth centric like leia you'll have to have hoth obviously to have its tiles to build the map well, and I think technically they want you to have that sheet to build the map as well, which is why they, I think they put the Bantha as their new tournament rotation map because mm. yep. they wanted to sell more Banthas. Yeah. So why <laughs> not? <you> now, <laughs> um, sure. no, to be fair, though, every tournament we've been to, I don't think our organizer has said, do you have this map sheet? True. Uh, I mean, yeah. th it's a personal, uh, each tournament's going to be run differently by someone and they're not going to be... Well, none of the ones we've went to have been that strict. That's true. Yeah, um, strictly in the tournament rules, you have you're supposed to have a copy of everything so that you can build a map yourself. All the figures you want to have all the figures that represent and cards that represent what you're using in your force. So that's that's where the the cost gets really up there because you you have to keep up with the game and that gets quite pricey when you have the core set, which is upper you know hundred dollars or more. Um, the little upgrades aren't so bad. They're still... In, uh, well, 50 to 80, I think, 50 each 80, one. And this is in Canadian. American is going to be a little less, but it's still up there. And then Hoth was, uh, again, a bit more. It's closer to the 100, not quite as much as the Corset, but it is up, it is up there. So it, it, you know, if you're not keeping up with the game and you're starting from scratch, it's quite the investment, especially if you really want to get into the, um, the skirmish. That yeah, you sense. don't have to actually buy any of the blisters to play the campaign it, they give you all the tokens in the box set that they're going to release as proper miniatures later on. It's right. just for the skirmish game that you require those miniatures. Yeah. So it's not it's not bad if you're just looking for the campaign mode. Yeah, if you're just doing campaign, you can stick with the core box, and then you can do the upgrade boxes as well, because each each uh, box will have a little um, campaign mission report on the back of the uh, the manual which you'll be using, you can copy it or whatever, and you'll be using to fill out the results of the uh, the battles for the campaign. And so, yeah, you can you can just buy those and skip the um, the blisters altogether if that's all you're looking to do. Um, but then for Skirmish, I think to currently officially compete in a tournament, you're looking at over three, maybe $400, which when yeah. you're looking at getting into a game for that specific thing, it's a little pricey. It is. Um, it really is, yeah. But um, if you're just doing skirmish casually, then it's not so, so bad because typically, like in our, we have a, a weekly um, uh, skirmish meetup that we have. 
uh, that happens one of our local friendly friendly local gaming stores, uh, Mission Fun and Games, and they um, you know it varies. We can have as low as two all the way up to like six or eight people show up for, and so you know not everybody needs to have all the uh, the sets and miniatures but um well let, let's face it, unless we wanted to play the exact same list against one another yeah. one of us could make enough forces for probably three people to play easily yeah easily. totally because we yeah um when you buy multiples of some some blisters or you're buying um if you're like say focusing mostly on rebels but you're still buying all the imperials we have all those imperial cards you could use for somebody same with mercenaries it's really easy um, the only thing where you might run into problems is if you need multiple Gideons. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone uses Gideon. Yeah, everyone uses everyone Gideon. loves Gideon. Yeah, he's um, one of the most popular figures out there for skirmish. Um, if you're playing a um, a scum or mercenaries or a rebel uh, list, he's pretty much always involved. He's standard. You might as well just discount discount his uh, point cost from the original <laughs> forty because everyone uses him. And now three PO. And three PO is very popular as well. You might look at him and say, well, why is he really popular? And he doesn't do a lot, but um, there's an ability called Focus. We're not going to go into all the specifics of how everything works in this game, but there's an ability called Focus that um, allows a, a figure to roll an extra die. Um, Gideon can do this, and so can um, uh, C-3PO. So if he's next to somebody, he can focus them and allow them to roll another die, which can be big in this game. Well, it makes your, your toughest characters even more powerful. Just yeah. to, for a few extra points of a character that, I mean, let's face it, is another target. And if someone ignores them, it makes them that much more powerful. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that uh, so that's essentially the game of Imperial Assault. Um, and like I said, we, we um, play it mostly skirmish. We do, I do play a little bit of campaign, but not a lot. Um, but the thing we'll talk about today mostly is some of the new stuff that's going to be coming out. And that's uh, Jabba's Realm, I mentioned before. It's going to be coming. It, um, it looks like it's going to be releasing at least uh, maybe two or three new characters um, that can be used uh, both in campaign mode and in skirmish mode. What I found interesting, because uh, they're releasing three new characters, they're releasing um, a couple mercenary characters for this, and it looks like they're releasing... Uh, an imperial character, um, imperial squad, I should say, which are the um, the flying jet troopers. troopers. Yeah, jet troopers, exactly. And one big creature. Um, creatures typically are um, used in uh, mercenaries, though. It looks like in this next round, there's going to be a creature for the uh, imperials as well, the dubaks. But uh, you're going to get the rancor in this uh, in this upgrade, which is going to be a really one of those big massive figures. There's a few massive figures in this game. Ranker is going to be one of them. ATSTs for the Imperials are out there that are massive. The Bantha, Bantha, yeah, the Bantha Rider, which is another mercenary um, figure that uh, is massive. I can't think of anything on the Rebel side that's nope, massive. No, nothing for the Rebels. Which, but I, I, I mean, if you hire the right people, you can then bring in a Bantha or I guess a Rank or eventually. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, I know sort of. I guess checks with uh, with rebels. You don't when you watch the movies. You know, it's they're just usually all against everybody else. They're against everybody else. They don't really have anything that's really big and, and menacing. Usually out in the field, it's all a little bit guerrilla tactics. tactics. Yeah. So that it sort of it, it plays. Now I guess we'll see what happens in the future. You know, when they're especially when they start going back to the prequels, who knows what could happen? But right now they seem to mostly be uh, focusing on. Uh, original trilogy uh, a little bit before now um, the last upgrade set included uh, the Inquisitor 
from the Rebels. Rebels, and then they had Obi-Wan and Greedo. So. And, and Greedo, yeah. So They went a little bit backwards in the timeline. They went a little bit backwards in the timeline with those figures, but um, the main release in the previous one was Bespin, which keeps in the timeline going from the original to the Hoth to Bespin. So it's sort of keeping pace with the majority of what's come on, coming out. But yeah, so they have quite a few figures that are coming out. Um, what's interesting... I don't see anything too big on mechanics. Last uh, in the Bespin release, Bespin changed some mechanics came, for the better. Yeah, with, for the better with the hidden mechanic, uh, but here I don't see a lot of changes in mechanics. Uh, the only real difference I see is all the Rebel heroes that were released for the campaign um, in Skirmish are going to be mercenaries. So that was different. That's a little. They're they're fleshing out the scum lists with some needed non Boba Fett characters that, yeah. you know like some some made up people that they can fill in the blanks that scum has been lacking yeah it's not uh, well, all I, bounty hunters I, I'm also hoping that's what they're doing without being yeah. able to clearly see all of their skirmish cards it's hard to say for sure that's right they haven't fully released everything yet so we're just we're, we're guessing a little bit on some of this reading what we can from these images that we see um, you know and just leaving what we can from forums and, and that kind of thing as well um, so yeah, but it does seem this is going to be a very mercenary-centric release because um, there's quite a bit coming out for mercenaries because um, there's the main box that's going to be coming out, which is the Jabba's Realm, but also there's going to be um, a few releases. Uh, actually, the blisters that are coming out are sort of spread out. There's two Rebel, one Imperial, and one um, Scum, one and mercenary. That which is being Jabba. Jabba the Hutt, yeah. Jabba does, um, I think, is going to include his card with um, the box set, but having his. Um, if you want the miniature well. for skirmish, you'll have to get his blister pack. Yeah. But you'll have his rules for the campaign right. and a token to represent him instead. Yeah. Um, but they've been doing some interesting stuff. Like now, finally, with uh, Jabba coming out, Scum's going to have a viable leader on their own. And I found it interesting that Jabba's going to be six points for Skirmish, mm -hmm. which is the exact amount of points you would spend for 3PO, Gideon, and the upgrade card that allowed you to bring in 3PO and Gideon as a scum player. Yeah, absolutely. So now you're going to have a choice. Um, I guess you could do both. That's going to be like 12 whole points, though, out of your 40. But um, That's too many non-combatants. <laughs> yeah, too many non-combatants. It's true, because you really it's important to have figures on the map. Sometimes you can get away with having lower um, number of figures depending on what you're playing, especially if you um, if you're if you have some synergy between what you're playing. But um, you typically want to have some good troops or, or combatants out there to help you know keep things going. And Jabba does look interesting for his six points. He has quite a few abilities. He um, ten health, um, which isn't you know which isn't bad. He's really two, slow. Two movement. <laughs> two movement. But that, that, that checks with Jabba. Yeah. Unless you can get some kind of floating platform for him. He's not going to be very fast. And um, he's a melee. Melee attacker, which makes sense. He gets a red and uh, looks like a green die. But then he has quite a few abilities. But yeah, let, let's face it. He's not there for his attack. No, he's he, not. He, if someone gets close enough for him to smack, they deserve to be smacked by him. But, yeah. I mean, he's got... Five, four different abilities. Four different abilities. Require and one inherent ability. And I'm just noticing this. He has no. Um, no surge. No surges. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if, you know, if you're not familiar with what that is, each card has some stats. There's um, a defense stat, a health stat. Well, the defense is actually a die, 
uh, health stat, uh, a speed, and an attack stat, and the attack is die as well. So you have three different dice in this game. You have some defense dice, and you have attack dice. Um, but then typically what you'll have is some a block of text, which will be special abilities that that card has. They could be activated abilities, or they could be um, surges. And then they'll have a surge area right above the main block of text, which will be if you roll a surge symbol on one of the attack dice, you can spend that surge symbol on one of these special um, areas. And uh, each surge could be something like additional damage you're doing, it could be healing, it could be um, piercing, so as you're going, going through, right their, through defense. their defenses. It could also be um, accuracy, there's accuracy, a lot of focusing, there's lots yeah. of different special, um, they could be surging for effects that you could affect your figures or the enemy's figures, like making them weakened or focusing your own guy so that they're rolling extra dice. Um, so he has no um, surges, but he does have quite a few special abilities um, that he can use. It looks like he can um, focus, um, he has an ability that lets him focus um, mercenary people near him. Um, there was some, and I think it might be limited to mercenaries. Um, there's one, he has an ability where it lets him just draw a command card, and in this game, um, command cards are huge. You get 15, you're making up a deck of 15 command cards for each skirmish battle. And you're at the beginning of the game, you draw three cards, and then typically at the end of each round, you get to draw another card. Um, if you control a terminal, there's usually two terminals in each map. If you control that terminal, you'll get to draw an additional card. So um, anything that can bring out more command cards quicker for you, so you have your options available to you, is good. Is so good, exactly. Jabba adding the ability to every round being able to draw an extra one, if you spend his action to do so, that that's quite powerful for Scum. They've been lacking something like that. That's right. Um, there are cards that let you draw card um, ones as well. There's like a leader-specific card called Planning that let you... Um, um, it doesn't have to be a leader who uses it, but if you use it with a leader, you get to draw two cards. If you don't use it with a leader, you draw two cards and keep one. But um, just having an inherent ability to draw is really nice. Um, I think the only other one I can think of is R2-D2. If he's controlling a terminal, he lets he you... Some, he has an ability He has to, an ability to do it if you're at a terminal. If you're at a terminal, yeah. So that's a really nice ability. So I could see him getting some play from that. Um, and then he has a double activation ability as well. Um, Which uniquely lets you spend victory points. Yeah, it's really interesting. He has an he has an inherent ability that whenever um, a hostile figure is defeated, you gain a victory point. And it doesn't have to be by him. It could be anybody on your squad. If they defeat a hostile figure, you get a victory point. And then he has a double activation ability where you can spend a victory point. And it, it could be one or it could be two. It's really hard to read. But um, if you do that, then um, what was it? Uh, movement points was it there was a couple things oh they, they get to interrupt an attack a mercenary a scum gets to interrupt to attack and then after their attack gain three movement points yeah i believe gain some movement points now, of course this is on a card that's really hard to see in the image yeah. so we are um we're doing our best to read it it's it's not they haven't released the full card yet at least that we that we've seen but in either way it's a really interesting ability so you're kind of one way you're gaining victory points but the other way you can spend those victory points to get a really good interrupt and attack ability which is nice so he directly replaces gideon and in gideon yeah. gideon has the card the allows someone adjacent to him to attack to, and you add wounds to the attack as right. an interrupt yep well now jabba he gets an action and it's 
every turn you can do this if it's a double action if you want to spend the victory points to make someone well say you have Boba Fett that's an extra attack from Boba Fett every mm -hmm. turn and if he can defeat someone the victory point cost is mitigated because he's giving you bonus victory points for every hostile figure that's defeated that's true so you're really hoping that you're defeating the guy when you activate that exactly to, to mitigate that loss of victory points and then yeah. he can focus like Gideon can mm -hmm. now you can't do both in turn unless you have a command card that's going to give you an extra action or something like that yeah. but you the choices are there he's a very well-rounded figure which i found since bespin they've been releasing models that are balanced that you have to question whether or not you're going to take this guy or this guy now because there's choice right where before there was very little choice your lists were very static i, I think where they're bringing this game is opening it up for a lot more choice in what you bring it's not going to be simple we're hoping to see like more variation. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, some of the big lists out there, um, even prior to Bespin, there was um, stormtroopers were very popular. Very we, popular. Yeah, where you had some elite stormtroopers and some regular stormtroopers, and just a lot of stormtroopers. Um, the other scum one was, were neglected. Scum were a bit neglected. Banthas. Banthas when they came out started to make a Let's make a bit impression. of a splash. Yeah, they were they were getting really popular. And um and for rebels, quite often you would see the, the twins, uh, the twins, the Luke and Leia combination, with whatever you were most comfortable with usually. Yeah, exactly. But it was those two in combination with and, something. Yeah. And with everybody, unless you're an Imperial player, you saw Gideon and Three PO. Yeah, exactly. Which, the rebels and the and the. It, it gets tiring seeing those two. Yeah. But they, they just, you know, for the extra points, as 3PO is not very expensive, Gideon's not all that expensive, and then you have the um, temporary alliance card. For that six points, you got quite a bit out of A lot, yeah. And I, lot I think Jabba starts to enroach on that, which is what I want to see. I want to see scum as scum. I don't want to see 3PO and Gideon <laughs> running around with Boba Fett trying to help him out. I want to see yep. Jabba helping out you know, ordering his scum to go and take someone out it, that makes more sense thematically. Exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting with him, and I, I, I can't wait to he wait, wait for him to come out so we can start playing and trying him out. Because um, I mean, he might not make any impact. Let's be fair. It, yeah. It, it could be. It's really hard to make a dent, especially yeah. when you get those popular lists. Well, and his abilities. Well, they sound interesting once you put them into practice. I can see them working, mm -hmm. but until you actually get that model on the table and situationally start to see how his abilities come into play, it it's hard to say if he'll replace them or if he'll just be a good option. Yeah, and it depends on his how his abilities trigger. Um, if it's uh, as Gideon, you have to be within um, Two space, line of sight, line of sight, line of sight for his abilities to trigger. So he, uh, Gideon's main abilities are he can focus somebody within line of sight. And he can move somebody within line of sight two spaces. So it depends on Jabba. It's really hard to read. So if his is a line of sight, then his speed won't be hopefully too much of a factor. Um, if he has to be within a certain range of somebody, um, then it could be a little bit harder because he's only got the two speed. I don't see anything mentioned about range, though. So it might be line of sight. It might not even be line of sight. Well, it might be anywhere on the board. It might. That's true. Because I don't see anything that mentions a range from him or a line of sight too. But again, or adjacency. It, either. Yeah. Sometimes 
well, be adjacency. It, it would be impossible to keep him adjacent to yeah, someone. Yeah, it would be. Then he'd be useless. If it was adjacency, he'd be yeah, useless. But it looks like he's basically using comms. Like he's mm-hmm. radioing someone saying, hey, do this. True. Yeah. So yeah. it can be anywhere on the board. Yeah. Once um, we have a clear picture of his card, we'll know We'll know more, better. But, but he does look like he could make a, a big difference, which is, uh, which is nice. Um, some of the other cards that it looks like he comes with is... Yeah, for some reason they're releasing both his um, regular card, like his skirmish card, and his campaign card in the blister. Um, I don't know what the point. I guess only if you want to use him in the campaign, and you don't buy if you want to use him in realm, yeah, can, earlier campaign because he has gets side missions. Yeah, um, and they're also releasing for skirmish something called Black Market. We can't really see the text on it, but it's going to be an upgrade, a skirmish upgrade for um, for scum, but which will be nice. They um, they could definitely use it. Um, so that's uh, one of the figures being released in Blister. Another one is um, a new Imperial uh, leader called Captain Taro. He's uh, he's interesting that he comes on a do-back. And it looks like he's going to serve double purpose. Um, there was a previous release early in the game called uh, General Weiss. He um, could be, both be used as General Weiss and he could also be used as a second ATST if you, you know, for some reason needed a second ATST. So now, yeah, now this guy gets to be a generic do-back rider. Yeah, a generic do-back rider for the Imperials, or he's Captain Taro, um, who's another leader, um, also counts as a creature and a trooper. Um, so he uh, he could be interesting. Uh, for seven um, combat, for seven points, you get thirteen health, five movement regularly, and he seems to have a special ability um, at the beginning of his activation. It looks like he might get three additional movement points. Which is huge. I mean, yeah. if you get three free movement points and then you move, he's moving as fast as a stormtrooper mm-hmm. with just one action. With, yeah, without, yeah. And yeah, with eight movement, you could go almost anywhere. You know, you can get in range of almost That's anything on the board. Huge range. You're, you're talking Boba Fett range there. Yeah, exactly. And he also has three dice. It looks like a blue, a green, and a yellow. So he has. he's going to have good range as it is. Um, he doesn't have a lot of... Um, Surges. He only has two surges, one's for damage and one's for pierce. So he's not getting any um, additional range out of his surges. Um, he does have a special ability that's a little hard to see. Flamethrower. Um, the flamethrower, that's right. That's right. Um, it's, it's almost like a it's grenade like a, effect. It's like a grenade effect, um, is, but instead of rolling a die, you're just automatically doing one wound, one, one wound, strain and one strain. And weakened. And weakened. So Tip. everybody next to a space that gets hit gets one wound, a strain, which translates to either another wound or loss of a command card and and the weakened ability weakened is not one of the better abilities but it's still decent because you're blocking surges or you're blocking surge blocks surge blocks yeah Yeah. and i mean if you think about it from the perspective of this takes one action Mm -hmm. it's not considered an attack that's right so he can do it weaken his target before he does an attack and then roll three dice for attack and then roll three dice for an attack yeah it's not a bad i mean Weakened as an effect is probably not one of the ones you want first because mm. there's better ones. But yeah. when you combine it with what the card actually has on it, I think it works fairly well with what he's doing. Yeah. No, he looks like a good card. Especially as a support leader mm-hmm. where if I'm assuming people are going to take stormtroopers with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a trooper. You know, you can trigger off of a lot of trooper cards. Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're you're shooting at someone now that you have like three choices that are all weakened it makes stormtroopers easier to get off their surge abilities Mm -hmm. 
I yep, mean, because they're not, not blocking your uh, surges quite as often. The yeah. main thing is you're doing the wound and the strain. The weekend is tacked on there as an extra bonus. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So um, he looks like a good figure for seven points and you know 13 health. I could see him coming out. Um, is he going to replace Agent Blaze, who's the current? He's kind of really popular right now with the new uh, investment. He came out um, with the new hidden command. Um, hidden mechanic and he has a lot of um a lot of card cancellation card cancellation stuff yeah it's an option it, yeah. again uh, agent blaze works for a specific style of mm -hmm. play where if you want to do control style where you're negating someone's command deck he's one way to play where this guy here can complement a pure stormtrooper deck yeah and i can see this being like a really um you know with his speed and his abilities, almost like a Blitzkrieg kind of playstyle with him. Well, and because we, we can't see what the actual Dewback Rider yeah. does in the back, like because he's on top of that card. He's so. on top of that card, so he's blocking a lot of them. It, he has the same attack dice. It, um, it's quite possible that you're going to see him with two Dewback Riders as a potential list if they have mm -hmm. something even close to what he's getting as a plus two or three movement when you activate and a five movement standard in a three dice attack yeah uh, you could really cover a lot of ground and, and disrupt a person's plans yeah and, and attack at the same time mm -hmm. so you're getting area control for a fairly tough unit and it, it starts to break up the it makes more themed lists that i'm i, I think the game needs that it really has been lacking the options mm -hmm. that a lot of other miniature games have right yeah, and uh, another card he comes with um, is the Feeding Frenzy card. It's a skirmish upgrade, a generic skirmish upgrade, so any list can take it, but you have to have creatures. Um, so you're not going to really Limiting see Limiting for Rebels. It. Yeah, you're not going to see it in Rebels unless you're also combining with Mercs, um, with the Scum. So, But there's a creature-only upgrade where you exhaust this card while attacking a figure that has suffered wounds to apply plus one wound to the results. And then when, while you're attacking a figure adjacent to you, you get Surge to recover two health. So that's pretty big for creatures. That's actually a really nice attachment. Yeah, having a Surge for recover two, it, it immediately makes a bunch of creatures a lot more valuable. Um, you know, and I was thinking about it, though. Like, we were thinking, oh, that could be really good for Bantha, but... Not so much because you're not rolling attack dice with Bantha. You're no, doing you, you automatic wouldn't. Damage. I, I think it would shine with Nexu because Nexu, yeah. they they have more ability to gain surges mm -hmm. than the Bantha does, and even the Wampa where you're rolling red dice, yeah. you're you're not seeing a lot of surges with them. Mm -hmm. Now, so Nexu and potentially these Dewbacks because they have green dice and blue dice, so they'll yes. and yellow too. So yeah, I think it'll work with Dewbacks. Yeah and maybe rancors but i see rancors being closer to a wampa in their dice like a lot of heavy hitting not surges right yeah absolutely so that's yeah so it's, that's an interesting upgrade and i could see it coming out uh for anybody who uses nexus for sure um well it makes your nexus the nexus or uh, the elite nexus in particular is already a useful unit yeah it's mobile it can cause bleed it it's hard to kill because it has its natural defenses plus a white die. Yep. So you add a recover two to the top of that, and 
you can send it into the it makes it survivable for another round or two yeah. potentially which uh, typically you get him in the mix and he dies pretty quickly sometimes yeah and, and you want him next to multiple people because of his natural cleave ability yeah so it just for one point making a model it, it's better than them going back and redoing a card and yeah. reducing its point cost to make it more viable with power creep as they bring out more stuff right it upgrades a current card without having to redo something right exactly yeah so yeah that's um he looks like it's gonna be a really strong blister to come out for imperials which is um nice you know not that everybody needs you know better blisters and this is a good one i I like it um and coming out for rebels there's two blisters coming out um the alliance rangers it's like a a squad of uh, three figures um, for the rebels, and then a new Luke is coming out. It's going to be, we're going to start seeing Jedi the, uh, the Jedi Luke. Yeah, and he looks really interesting as well. But before we go to Luke, let's just look at the Alliance Rangers. Um, they have like one of the Alliance. They have the a couple of different. There's a regular and elite card we can actually see. Uh, the regular Alliance Rangers. Um, there are nine points for three figures, so it's three figure cost for each one. Um, they're really they're they're snipers. They're troopers and they're hunters. That's the first hunters we've seen, I think, for rebels. For rebels, yeah, yeah. Um, they have two black dice, uh, two blue attack dice, uh, five health and four speed for the regulars. Um, and we're looking at seven health and four speed for the uh, the elites. I think the main difference between them are going to be some surges and one of their abilities, the sniper ability. Um, so what they have for abilities is um, one is called Gorilla. So um, after you resolve an attack, if you defeat who you're attacking, you become hidden. If the defender was defeated, become hidden. So that brings the hidden mechanic back in and adds it to um, a rebel, which is nice. Um, then they also have Sniper, which makes them really good for long range. So while attacking, if the target space is five or more spaces away, you may re-roll one attack die. And then when you go to the elite, it looks like you get to reroll two attack die, so that could be huge. Um, you're always guaranteed. Now they have plus one accuracy for the standard trooper. Um, I don't know if it's uh, more than that for the no, elite. I, it looks like plus one accuracy and plus one pierce but you for get the elite pierce as well. That's right. So um, with a with two blue die, you know, unless you're attacking a hidden target, you're guaranteeing that you're hitting a five range figure. And they're more, more, more than likely you're going to hit farther than that because they also have a surge for accuracy. Um, so a plus two accuracy surge. So they're really nice long range. I think they're like the Rebels' answer to the HK-47s, really. A little, a little less wounds. I, I, like a little less wounds. They're not, as, they're not heavy hitters. No. But you're getting a squad of three, yeah. which can then be reinforced. So the reinforcement card comes into play for Rebels finally, other than on their troopers which most people don't like yeah exactly they're finally a trooper for the rebels that people want to reinforce <laughs> and for their model cost i mean you're, you're getting five health which is standard i mm-hmm. mean a, an elite trooper is a three-point reinforcement cost they come with five health yep but these guys don't have to be up close yeah they do not have to be close at all which is nice and then they can become hidden which you're gonna see a lot of survivability out of these guys i think yeah no, they were uh, really excited about these guys, but they have a black dice for defense, which um, you know doesn't gets rid of the dodge, but then has a better chance of you know negating some damage, um, you know up to three damage, which is nice. And then yeah, the surges look a little different for the elite, but not a lot. Just uh, a little it, bit more health. It's it stuck with the theme of rebels not having the best of surges, I think. Yeah, 
I mean, that they're decent. They're good for a trooper class mm-hmm. card with some plus wounds, some pierce, and some accuracy. Yeah. But no. these guys will shine with the hidden mechanic. Yeah, absolutely. And if you mix them in with, like, uh, Davith, who's another one who wants to stay hidden all the time, you can get a pretty good, nice list. Well, and, and then you have some people who are sniping from range, and Davith, who's getting up close... And, and who do you, things up. who do yeah. you go after? Because Davith is survivable on his own. Yeah. And then those guys, you have to rush. It, it presents some options for tactical play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, these guys look good. I really like them. Uh, we can't really. It's hard to see the uh, command cards that are coming with these guys, so we can't really talk much too much about them. Um, so once they finally release those, and maybe we'll get a chance to see them and talk about them. But uh, no, they look like a really solid trooper that's coming out. So they're doing really good with these releases so far. There's nothing here that I've seen that I, I haven't liked, um, even including Luke. Now we're going to go to Luke. Yeah, Luke is a little less appealing. A little less appealing compared to his standard uh, figure that's out now, but he's still a strong figure. But he is, you know, a little pricey at he's 12 costly. points. He, yeah, he, I think that's his biggest downside. Is he's gone up in points when you're losing a ranged ability. He can't shoot. That's right. He's strictly melee now. He's gaining health, mm-hmm. but it for twelve points. I mean, well, yeah, he okay. So he has inherent couple inherent abilities instead of surges. Like he has a couple surges, but he has a couple inherent. One is plus looks like what plus one wound and plus one surge block. So he has something on the offense and something on the defense inherently. Uh, he can surge for additional wound. He can surge for pierce three. Um, and then he has a couple abilities. Um, and his first one, his first abilities, I, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's like a guardian ability. It's like he helps defend somebody who's himself and somebody who's next to him. Uh, it's not even that he helps defend. He's just, it's called deflection, it's, I believe. It's, uh, I shouldn't say defend. He he causes a wound to yeah. the attacker of, somebody, of someone who attacks him or someone adjacent to Luke. Right. Yeah, so I shouldn't say it's more of a defendability. It's more of just a retribution ability. A retribution, yeah, <laughs> that's a good that's a good word for it. Yeah, so he's 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 hitting him back. So if you hit somebody near him or him, he'll hit back, which is kind of neat, which is nice. Um, and then his last ability um, used during uh, your activation, you perform an attack. He gets two attacks basically. You may perform an attack. That's right. Without um, without spending an activation. That's it. Or uh, action. So he sorry. gets like an extra attack. Yeah. Which is nice. But his attack dice for using a lightsaber, they, it's, it's it lacks red. It lacks red, yeah. it's It looks like it's green, blue, yellow. It, it's the same attack profile he currently has. Right. But it's not a ranged attack. It's a melee attack. Mm-hmm. He, he does gain the ability to gain two of them. We can't tell if they are adding a new command card to go with the new Luke. They probably are. I, I, you would think. Um, let's take a look here. Well, it's really hard to tell, obviously. Um, but it looks like deflection is yeah. one of the cards they're adding for well, him. Parry, parry. Sorry, yeah, yeah they're parry. Parry. They're adding um, positioning something. Any target. But they have a tar- They have a card for any target. They have a card that's not specific to him. The parry card, which looks like it's for um, uh, brawlers. Or uh, Guardians, I think it might be. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Yeah, and then there's one card that they have flipped over, so you can't so see it's what hard, it is. Yeah, they might be... put, But Luke's command card's good enough as is. Yeah, it's Son of Skywalker. If he's getting yeah. four attacks around, uh, you can't complain too much no. about that. No, But um, his surges... He loses Recover. 
He, yeah. d- he doesn't get recovered too. That's true. Uh, which is huge. He has more health to compensate, but, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And he's losing speed five. He's going to speed four. Yeah, he gets slower. He's gaining health, but he's getting a bit slower. Now, I don't and understand. He, and he's losing inspiring too, so you're losing the reroll that yeah. you could do. Yeah. But I, I don't understand why Luke, as a Jedi, is getting slower than Luke, who is an on-train Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that does that is a bit odd. You would think he wouldn't get any slower. Like, you think he'd get faster, if anything. Yeah. I, I can understand not putting him to six movement, but yep. bringing him down to four movement because it Davis. doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, Davis is five movement, and you know he's really you know he doesn't have maybe all the, the abilities that Luke might have, but he still has some really solid abilities. Um, yeah, it's really it's really odd. You're giving up that. Well, you're getting six health, but you're giving up one speed. And, and recovery odd. too is more important yeah. than six health, in my opinion. True. Yeah, and the re rolls that the other Luke can give make a big difference sometimes. You know, when you have a bunch of people definitely, around. De- if especially if you remember to use it, unlike me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it is one of those things where you have to remember to use those abilities. They're they're important. But he is he also gets. It looks like he's getting the leader um, designation and brawler. And I, brawler. I think he's lacking brawler now. Um, if you look at him now, he has uh, he's just force user. Yeah, he's just a force user. Yeah, so, so he keeps getting force user, user, and he gets brawler and leader. It looks yeah. like. So he's getting a couple new designations. Which but is I mean, interesting. let's face it. If you're going to use maybe if you're upgrading him with a skirmish upgrade mm-hmm. but are you ever going to use like planning with luke yeah probably not no no because that's the, like an active you have to activate yeah you're plan. not going to use a leader command card on him most likely i can't think of a situation no. so yeah yeah really giving him the leader designation eh, not necessarily i guess he's it's a fallback if you had him and somebody else who's a leader you have a second person you, you have could the option play, you know, yeah planning with synergy with your command cards potentially and that's not that's always a, you know synergy is a good thing he gains yep. a free attack yeah that so, is actually not bad he's just missing the range so he's now a melee only and it, they've taken away his speed to get away from stuff and they've mm-hmm. taken away his ability to recover but they've made it so he has to close yeah. in to do damage whereas True. before the old luke he cost two points less had a pretty amazing close combat attack with a yellow red die and automatic pierce three it wasn't a surge for pierce three yeah and he could heal himself mm-hmm. and he could shoot across the map especially if True. you focused him if you focused him he was like yeah he's almost like an hk he could hit across the map and yeah. with heavy damage so yeah i mean i don't see this luke as an upgrade right now i i might change my opinion when we actually get him in our hands and get to test him out but True. I, i'm not as impressed with luke as i'm with the other three yeah yeah, he, he he looks nice. I like his figure. Um, but yeah, whether or not he sees actual skirmish play is going to be the thing. And we'll see if he escapes the bent lightsaber. <laughs> that curse. That um, uh, all the other Jedi have had. Every, uh, especially the Inquisitor. Oh, his double lightsaber double is light terrible. Sa- yeah. <laughs> um, he does have a, he does come with another card that looks interesting, Motivation. And it's like a generic leader card. So it looks like it's a leader only card and you can motivate your, your troopers um, or your um, your other teammates or whatever to do something. I can't remember what it was. We can't it see the full text. It looks like it's removing a condition for a wound. Yeah. It, yeah. It, but without being able to see the full text, it's hard to say for sure. Yeah. But, but that could it's, be interesting. I mean, to get rid of stun for a wound, yeah. I think most people would take that. Yeah. 
on a trooper or something if it's not going to kill them. Well, yeah, because then you're not wasting an activation getting rid of stunned or bleed or yeah. or something it, like that, which could really hurt you anyways. Which allows you the ability to shoot and escape or do any other combination yeah. of things. I yeah. mean, it, it's probably worth it. it. Without seeing all the text, it's hard to say for it's sure. It's pretty hard to say. So we'll see when it's uh, fully released. But it's it's an interesting upgrade card. And, and it looks like it's only one point. Yeah, so. for a single point. Yeah, for... Uh, to... It, give that ability to everybody around you to a leader so you have to choose your leader too so um you know quite let's face it it's it's rebels you're probably gonna have gideon so giving gideon or leia or leia oh actually yeah leia i forgot about leia she's a really solid leader she shows up a lot there's nothing wrong with her so giving an extra ability to one of them is is definitely good the only other i think was that there's another um upgrade card it's not leader specific though is it um the one that lets you you know, you can get get a point or... Oh, know. the on a diplomatic mission? Yeah. Um, I think that is leader-specific. Is that one leader-specific? It might be. It's just it's always stuck on Gideon, so I assume it is. Yeah, leader-specific. You gain two movement points, which helps you get your leader around. Uh, until the end of the round, you can apply a surge block, and, or you can gain one VP. So and there's like three I, different things. I think it's pretty much always used for the two movement points with the occasional one victory point yeah, added you, on top. Yeah, if you can't use the movement points for some reason, you'd get the victory Because let's face know. it, if you're shooting Gideon, he's not going to benefit from a surge defense. No, no He's probably true. dead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he's going to go down pretty quickly. So, yeah, so this might be a good alternate to, on a diplomatic mission, depending on what the full text comes out with. Yeah, so that that that's what's coming out soon for Imperial Assault or in the next little while, this next quarter, I guess, this fall quarter or something. So some solid, um, really solid uh, figures coming out, and a new uh, a new set, Jabba's Realm, which we'll have to see how it affects things. We, uh, looking at the tiles, we're going to get the Sarlacc Pit. That'll be interesting. So you can definitely see there's going to be some missions. Of Sarlacc Pit and maybe Jabba's Palace on the other side? It looks like Jabba's Palace, yeah. So there's going to be some interesting things there, I think. And the um, Rancor model looks really nice. Yeah, that, they are doing really well with these models. They are really nice models for plastics. You know, they're um, we come from you know a Games Workshop background, so you know we're used to seeing you know highly detailed um, plastic and pewter. It used to be in the old days well, pewter, pewter, but you know plastic and um, resin models. So going to Imperial Assault, you know you're getting into a a little bit less of a they started off low quality they started off really low quality but they're getting better they're definitely getting better the details getting there and the the figures are interesting yeah. um you're a painter you you paint all your miniatures i like <laughs> i like <laughs> to think that i'm a painter but i never paint anything um so i have like one or two figures painted eventually someday maybe i'll get something painted but you tend to paint, paint all your figures and you do a really good job so I think giving you these options really yeah it, it expands your base of people who want in when if you have someone who's interested in painting and sees a model and mm -hmm. they go well i want to paint that so they'll look at the game yeah absolutely and i think the rancor itself looks it's one of those models i think that people would be drawn to who like star wars who mm -hmm. will see this in a game store and go well what's this yeah absolutely so it, it's something to draw the eye yeah and they're gamorians which we mm -hmm. haven't talked about that nope. comes in the expansion because we can't see we can't see what they anything are. on them. No. But it looks like Scum's getting a Gamorrean squad. Yeah, so they're getting another. Um, I don't know if they want to call them troopers, but it's another squad of. Uh, it could it be like an individual, or could be two. Yeah, it's it hard. looks like two figures because you can see there's um, the basic one is six points, and they have a three-figure point. 
Oh, okay, cost. yep. So it's gonna be two you, figures. Yep. So they'll have two. Two figures for you know the Gamorians. I'll be interested in to see what they have. But um, the mo- the model itself, just from the model perspective, it, it, I find it looks interesting. It does. It looks really nice. Um, they're they're doing a new thing now with these jet troopers, where the jet troopers are actually going to be on a flight stand. So that's different too. Yep. Um, I don't know that I like the theme of jet troopers, but yeah, the the model looks fine. The if it works in game mechanics, I won't complain about them. Yeah, we didn't talk too much. We didn't really talk at all about the jet troopers. It's a a new squad that's coming out in the um in the box set, the Jabba's Realm box set. Um, they're like the, the basic ones are four points. Um, you get two per squad. They're a trooper, and they count as a vehicle, so they could trigger off of vehicle stuff, um, like General Soren, who affects vehicles oh, yeah. and droids. Yeah, and then there's certain like heavy firepower command cards that mm-hmm. add wounds for vehicles. They're a little weak um, on the on the standard side. They're a three health. They have the standard kind of well, four they, speed though. They're your standard stor- stormtrooper. Yeah, they are. But they have mobility. They have mobility. They're mobile, so they can go anywhere. Um, they have a couple surges, one for uh, damage and one for accuracy. Standard Stormtrooper attack die, yeah, blue-green. Same, same guns. Um, they're agile, so it says when defending, you can convert a defense result into a surge block result. Which is great for a black die, defense. Yeah, because you don't see a lot of surge blocks. Either getting a surge block or you're getting, you know... Yeah, I, I mean, defense, you roll... So. If you roll a three, if you're lucky enough to be one of those people that rolls three defense <laughs> on a black die, it, it gives you that option to yeah. block a surge as well. And you can only do it once, but, you know, blocking a surge can be really big, especially if well, that it, um, it attacker takes really away is, If it's, say, Leia or Luke, it yeah. takes away their option of, do I recover two yeah. this turn? Or do I? Or, or do I shuffle a, in shuffle a deck? A card, yeah, an important card back into the deck. Yeah, so I even if your stormtrooper is going to die, you can do a surge block and prevent some potentially beneficial things. So yeah, I think that adds something to them. Mm-hmm. And they also have jets, and this makes them a bit more mobile. So they're standard four speed, and then if you're um, within two spaces of who you're attacking with them, you gain a movement point. Which a movement point doesn't seem like a lot. I guess it depends on the situation. I don't think it's uh, enough to make them survivable. We we can't see their elite card. No. So, so we can't yeah, we uh, don't know if they'll gain additional with might, their jets. It might make it more, but for the standard, uh they're gonna jump in close. If they jump in that close, they're probably dead next turn. Yeah. One movement point extra or not. Yeah, I guess maybe But they're mobile. They're so mobile. if you are on a spot where it's like a block, block with a with red heavy, with bad terrain, impossible with terrain, terrain, they can then hide. Yeah. Cuz it's they not can drop it to the other side of that impossible terrain possibly. Yeah. So there's uses for it. Yeah. It's just it's not going to come into play a lot, no. I don't think. I guess it really depends. I guess you have to look at the maps too. Like the current maps you know, Coruscant, I can't see too many situations where that's going to be a huge thing. Um, there's no blocking terrain on Coruscant that's next to a wall that I can think of. Um, training grounds. I haven't played enough on Coruscant. I, that Yeah. Again, training grounds, I don't, you know, there are places where there's blocking terrain, but nothing that's next to a wall that's really going to Most make a of their terrain that's blocking, you can see through. There's the, the upper part of the map well what i consider the upper part in the wilderness area where the second terminal is Mm -hmm. where they have those blocked rock kind of area that that could come into play there if you're up if you have a little skirmish going up there and you have your troopers you could jump them behind the blocking terrain unfortunately most of the skirmishes seem to happen in the big room in the middle not up top unless you're really trying to draw your opponent up there quite often you're fighting down below 
Especially with the just, two different missions that they have. Just the way the map works for how the missions play out, you don't right. typically see that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is um, the Bantho one, um, the, the junkyard nope. or whatever it's called. Leia's map. No, no, oh, Leia's Coruscant. Leia's, oh, Leia's Coruscant? Isn't she? No, she's the... I thought she was that cave, the frost cave thing. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, uh, well, either way, the Bantha one's the one with that trash compactor. That's right. That's, that's that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Is for the Bantha, is the one with the, the creature in the middle for the one mission. And even there, um, again, I'm not seeing a lot of places there's, where they could jump. There's the one way. tile that uh, it was on the Cantina map where you start off and yeah. it has some block train. But yeah. not, I think most of it you can shoot through, so it wouldn't apply. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say. Um, if you're just doing skirmish on a regular map, you know, it could come in on on the current um, tournament and maps. There are places where it might come into play, but eh, it's I really can't, hard to say. I can't see it replacing a regular yeah. Stormtrooper squad because, well, they're the One same cost. Bigger. They're yeah. the same cost because they're still two-point reinforcement yeah. than a like a basic and i'm assuming they're going to go up to a three point cost for the elite yeah so it'll probably be nine for the elites most likely uh no six, six i mean six, six with three reinforcement yeah so i don't know that they would choose to replace a normal stormtrooper with it mm-hmm. but it is a discount if you have four points and can't afford a regular stormtrooper squad right so it it does bring it into play because you get two it's a little cheaper to bring in two figures yeah yeah, true, but we'll see. Um, there at least there's another option, I guess, for the the troopers. Maybe not the strongest option that we just saw. The Dubak guy looks more interesting, really. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be see how they interesting to see how they play out. And from what we can see of the Rancor, he gets brutality like Vader. Yep. He has reach. He's non sentient. And he's massive. And he's massive. Which yes. yeah, to be expected. Yep. Um, and he has cleave. And a couple extra wounds. Is it cleave two? Do you, do you uh, think looks that's like cleave two. two? It's definitely two. So st- a surge for two wounds and surge for cleave two? Yeah. That's pretty good. And then he's got, dice, yeah, so. he's got a special ability that's mostly covered there. Yeah, so one special ability. He With Beast Timber, though, he could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, he's non-sentient. So we don't know his yeah. health. We know he costs 10 points. Yeah, that's all we know is he costs 10 points. Yeah. But um, he's a nice-looking figure. He looks like he's going to be interested in the paint. Um, I have a friend in... Uh, in BC who uh, doesn't currently have anyone to play the game with but he has been buying the game because he likes the miniatures yeah. and he just did a really beautiful uh, Nexu painting that I'll have to show you after the, the podcast but um, it uh, yeah if you um, if you really like painting uh, these miniatures are they're, they're know, starting to get up there they're getting up there they really lend themselves towards it especially if you like Star Wars and painting <laughs> exactly currently the only real good option so yeah in, in, exactly right the old there were some miniatures a while ago for Star Wars that they were just not they very weren't nice. very good no. they were really low quality and yeah and I don't even know what the game was like but well anyways I think that might be a good place to stop we uh, done our segments we've done recorded our first uh, podcast I hope you enjoyed it and um, you know I think we're, we're probably going to have places where you'll be able to comment I don't know where it is right now because I'm still setting things up but when you've read, when, by the time you're hearing this, those things will be in play. There might be a guild at uh, Born Game Geek. Um, there potentially could be comments on our site. Uh, it's going to be boardnowgaming.com. Um, we'll probably be on, be on Facebook, so look for us there. And, uh, well, we hope to hear from you. And let us know if you enjoyed the, 
the episode. Let us know your thoughts. If you had any, um, you know, if, if what you thought of the different segments, the comparison um, segment or the Imperial Assault segment. Um, but anyways, until next time, I'm Randall. I'm Jeff. And we hope to hear from you. Have a great day. Penelope Petticue came from the land of the sun. Penelope Petticue, full body language burka on. Penelope Petticue, she shot me a wink and a smile. Penelope Petticue, I think I saw the devil inside. Penelope Petticue, hair pulled back in a bun. Penelope Petticue, wishes she was a chick with a gun. Penelope Petticue. Thinks she's tough as nails Penelope Petticue Is actually quite fragile and frail Oh Penelope Petticue I love you Oh Penelope Petticue I love you Oh Penelope Petticue I love you Oh Penelope Petticue Penelope Petticue Fancies a cuddle and a Penelope Petticue is into real hard rock Penelope Petticue drags me into her bed Penelope Petticue rides me until I am dead Penelope Petticue tall and lanky and hot Penelope Petticue legs that just won't stop Penelope Petticue eyes that drive me insane Penelope Petticue windows on her beautiful brain Oh Penelope Petticue, I love you Oh Penelope Petticue, I love you Oh Penelope Petticue, I love you Oh Penelope Petticue Penelope Petticue, prim and proper libertine Penelope Petticue, thigh highs under her jeans Penelope Petticue, naked in her high heeled shoes Penelope Penelope's amaze and amuse Penelope Petticue Delicious blend of naughty and nice Penelope Petticue Subtle brew of virtue and vice Penelope Petticue Highbrow, lowbrow and smart Penelope Petticue Penelope has a real big heart Oh Penelope Petticue I love you Oh Penelope Petticue I love you